that Varys was right about you after all. Varys? King Robert's spymaster? Yes. He's the one who convinced me to come find you. He was my traveling companion before Sir Joros seized that role for himself. Joros sent my secrets to Varys. For 20 years, the spider oversaw the campaign to find and kill me. He did what he had to do to survive. He did a lot of other things as well, things he didn't have to do. I suspect he's the main reason you weren't slaughtered in your crib. But you trust him? Yes, oddly. He may be the only person in the world I trust. Except my brother. The brother who killed my father? That's the one. Perhaps I will have you killed after all. Your queenly prerogative. I'd given up on life. Until Varys convinced me you might be worth living for. You chop off my head? Well, my final days were interesting. Riding their dead horses. Hunting with their packs of pale spiders big as hounds. It's your hosts, Sir Duncan the Fearsome and Lady Rachel of House Fox. You're listening to Game of Microphones. Well met, curb-stomping giants and undead abominations. And welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, not a catfish. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, cleaner of kitchens. <laughs> and this is episode 90. Woo! Yeah. On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones, season 5, episode 8, Hard Home. And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatches from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season 7. If not, there's still time to be eaten to death by a pack of emaciated undead children, so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I love this episode. I do, too. I think that's pretty much the universal opinion, though, right? I think the biggest battle that we've seen before Hard Home is the Blackwater. And while that's an amazing battle in itself this battle just redefined all battles on television for me <laughs> oh yeah uh plus blackwater was season two this is season five there's a whole three seasons before this i know I so know. it's been quite a while it's it has been a quite a while battle. yeah and i mean we had the battle at the wall which was a true, good true, battle true. Forgot about but that. it just doesn't hold a candle to this battle. <laughs> yeah, it's not the same scale, like the type of thing. You know, like the combat scenes are are confined within the the walls. This is just castle. chaos. Yeah, like, this is just madness. It's honestly, it's a slaughter. It's not really <laughs> even a battle. It's. I mean, if you look at it like from a wide lens, it's there's really no competition. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. It's, it's not really a battle. It's like a mowing over of the wildlings and the Night's Watch. There's one point where one of the whites is sticking his head through the through the gate there, and he has an arrow sticking right through his head. 
<laughs> and it's like uh, you know, in The Walking Dead, you 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 brain them, you pith them, and it and uh, it kills the zombies. In this case, though, arrows to the brain do not kill the zombies. Uh, it's, I like the one that uh, is trying to c- crawl under the gate, and the guy smashes the skull with his foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always good. Yeah, so I'm sure we will talk a lot about the battle or the slaughter. But um, why don't we switch it up? What is your number five? Oh, man. All right. My number five is Tyrion and Danny matching wits. Okay. Is Jorah in your top five at all? Jorah and Danny and Tyrion is my number five. Okay. So let's both start with this scene then, since that's the first Danny and Tyrion scene as well. Okay. And then Danny and Tyrion. Um, I labeled breaking the wheel. That's my number three. So we can collab. Sounds good. So the episode starts with Jorah and Tyrion facing off in, or uh, standing, waiting in front of Danny and who's up there, Masande as well, and some guards. Yeah. So Jorah tries to speak with Danny and she just shuts him down immediately, <laughs> brutally. You will not speak, she says. <laughs> And then she's questioning who, you know, how does she know that Tyrion actually is who that he says he is? And hilariously, he's like, if only I were otherwise, you know, because his life has been so fucked up, <laughs> in, at least in yeah. some degrees, um, as a Lannister. So uh, she's like, if, and if you really are who you say you are, why shouldn't I just kill you to pay your family back after they screwed my family over? And he's like, well, if you want revenge against the Lannisters, I should basically be on your team because I've killed more Lannisters than anybody else of our time. I killed my mother, Joanna Lannister, yeah. the day I was born. <laughs> <laughs> and my father with a crossbolt to the heart. On the privy. <laughs> yeah, to add insult to injury. And Tommy Lannister does not shit gold. Nope. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. Their their lines back and forth here are just great. And um, I think you mentioned last last episode that Tyrion knew that he would be able to spar verbally with Danny. Was that you that said that, or was that Lady Hannah? I think that might have been Lady Lady Hannah. Basically, uh, she was talking about how Tyrion was confident that he would be able to survive Danny, that she wouldn't end up killing him. After, and I, I added, after surviving the cock merchant <laughs> finding slavers, oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Danny would be a piece of cake for him. So uh, he's all prepared for her uh, her verbal attacks, basically, and he's, he's ready with his, his jujitsu to, uh, to respond to it. So she's like, well, why should I welcome you into my service if you've killed members of your own family? Like, that's kind of fucked up. And he totally flips it on her, like, <laughs> into your service. It's too soon to know if you deserve my service. <laughs> and I love the way Jorah looks at him. He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's unreal. What are you doing? It's fucking unreal. Like, <laughs> 99 out of 100 people would never say this to the mother of dragons, the dragon No. Queen. They'd be far too terrified. So Tyrion's audacity is just hilarious. And I think that she likes his confidence but maybe not quite yet. <laughs> you know, not quite yet. She's a little bit mad here. She's like, what did you say? I think basically? she might be surprised, though, that he oh, yeah. is quick-witted enough to turn that around. And she's like, oh, good point. Wow, yeah. She's got to be impressed. And uh, this is something that a little parallel between Tyrion and Dario, that they're both not scared to tell Danny the truth. 
Yeah. Which is yeah. Uh, good for both of them. Because Danny needs people around who that around her that aren't just yes men that are going to be doing whatever she says and just agreeing with her because shit's going to go bad. Like, uh, you know, like that movie Pop Star. Is that, is that the name of the movie with Andy Samberg? I think I've seen the previews to that. I just remember on the trailer, he's like so cocky and he like throws a basketball behind him and it misses the net entirely. But oh, all, yes. All this, I remember <laughs> people that. People are preview. like, yeah, nice shot. You know, <laughs> swoosh. <Yeah. laughs> just hilarious. So totally. It's yeah. Danny definitely needs people who are going to tell her the truth. So it's just great that Tyrion shut up. So uh, after that sort of barb that he tosses her, like, I don't know if you deserve my service. She's like, well, well, if you'd rather return to the fighting pits, you know, that can be arranged. It's like, little not guy. really. <laughs> yeah. So he takes a moment to pause and sort of adjusts his strategy a little bit. But he, he, he comes at her really slickly and eloquently. He's, he decides to tell a story of when he was a young man hearing about a baby born during the worst storm in living memory who started off with nothing, moving from place to place, being hunted down, and somehow, after being sold off to a warlord on the other end of the planet, in a very short period of time, she ends up with wealth, lands, and armies, along with three dragons. And he's basically impressed by this. And uh, the most well-informed person that he knew... Told Which is Varys. That, yeah, Varys, right? Told him that he thought that she was our best last chance to build a better world. So he thought that she was at least worth meeting. And I thought this was really slick because it's 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 super strategic. He's complimenting her by making her seem mysterious, intriguing, and impressive, and like flattering her a little bit. But also sort of reversing his previous sentiment, like, well, I don't know if you're good enough to deserve my help. He's... He's at least saying now, like, I thought you were worth meeting. Like, I'm I'm interested in learning more, you know? Exactly. Which is good. And so she's like, well, well, why are you worth meeting? You know, what the fuck? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's like, basically, you're going to need somebody who understands the land that you want to want to rule. The strengths and the weaknesses of the houses, the politics, the monetary situation, the military um, scenario, the dynamics between the houses and, and everything like that. And she's, she responds, well, I have a very large army and large dragons, but Tyrion points out that killing and politics aren't always the same thing. And that even though the last king that he served as hand was kind of obsessed with torturing animals and killing people, <laughs> uh, he still did a pretty decent job with the politics half. And I love the line where he says, I could do an even better job advising a ruler worth the name. A ruler that's worth being called a ruler. And so I thought this was a really great conversation between the two of them because Tyrion is immediately showing his worth. He's showing that he's logic and reason driven by actually thinking for himself and not just bowing and submitting to her rule. He's questioning her worth as a leader, which tells her that he's he's not just a mindless drone, that he has yeah. philosophy and morals that are important to him which is good. And he also shows his strength with strategy by displaying his knowledge of the political, military, like strategic landscape and process, uh, the landscape of Westeros and like the process in general of negotiating this landscape or, or uh, navigating this landscape. So uh, it's, it's great. He's just arrived at the perfect time in Marine when she's desperately in need of someone like this. Cause she needs an advisor, right? She's lost Jorah. She's lost Barristan. Those were her two main strategic advisors. And they were Westerosi. Right. Yeah. 
So it's just great that perfect timing that Tyrion shows up. And so <laughs> this scene is just super clutch. And he's also right about his statement there at the end. Just imagine what he'd be capable of doing with a strong, wise, and compassionate leader. It'd be, it'd be great. So luckily, that, that hopefully will be the situation. <laughs> I think so. so. So she's like, you want to advise me? Well, what would you have me do with Jorah? I swore I would kill him if he ever returned. Why should the people trust a queen who can't keep her promises? And so I, I thought this was interesting because without saying it explicitly, it's pretty obvious that Danny is looking for a way to not have to kill Jorah. Exactly. Why should a, a, the people trust a queen who can't keep her promises? That means she doesn't want to keep her promises and she's asking how she could break her promise and still have the people respect her. How can I finagle my way out of this situation? Right. So this is Tyrion's big chance to prove to Danny that he can give her what she wants. He starts off by giving Jorah credit where credit's due. He says, you know, when he started informing on you, he's, he's no longer that guy that he was back then. And heaps a little bit of praise on. It's like, I, <laughs> he doesn't remember seeing any sane man as devoted to anything as he is to serving you. Um, and then he adds some, some credibility saying, you know, he claims he would kill for you and die for you. And nothing I've witnessed gives me any reason to doubt that. So... She's already developed some sort of, of not necessarily trust in Tyrion, but she's impressed with his like logical skills and everything so far. So I think this sort of means something coming from Tyrion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, validating that Jorah's heart is in the right place, which is something that, that she wants to hear because she's heartbroken by the betrayal of Jorah. They're a team and it's just, it's eating at her, you know? So I think that, that the credit that he's giving him here will take a little time to sink in with Daenerys, but he's planted the seed here, right? Sure. So then he, he sort of goes a little bit darker. And yet, he did betray you. And he starts to walk up the steps, and da Danny's guard's like, oh, like, ready their spears and everything. But Danny's like, no, 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 chill. <laughs> like, she's not scared of, of the no. imp, you know, <laughs> which, is, which is hilarious. No. <laughs> Um, and I don't think it's it's because of his stature that she's not scared. She just doesn't feel threatened by him. She doesn't get that vibe. No, she knows that he's not going to like bum rush her. I, right. She knows that he's smart enough to not do something stupid like yeah. that. So I was kind of making a joke about his stature and I feel bad about it now <laughs> because it, was, it wasn't anything to do with his stature. No, um, I, I actually knew what you meant. It's It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that he's a dwarf. It's he's having a conversation with her and they're quite a distance from each other. Right. Like when, when we get that camera angle behind Jorah and Tyrion, she's quite far off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think he's just getting closer to have more of a conversation right. versus an interrogation. And the closer you are, you can look each other in the eyes. Uh, exactly. It makes a big difference. Exactly. So he walks up and he continues, uh, she asked a good question. How can, how can I you know, get away with this, basically? Why would they trust me if I don't keep my promises? Now it's his turn to ask some poignant questions, showing his value as a thinker and logician. So he's like, did he have an opportunity to confess his betrayals? And she's like, yeah, many opportunities. And she looks so sad when she's saying it. Like, so sad. Yeah. Just uh, really, really sad. And she's hurt. And Tyrion asks, well, did he? And she's like, no. Not until forced to do so. <laughs> and she, you know, she loves Jorah and she's so hurt and you can see it all over her face and the camera is showing Jorah 
And as on the other hand, Jorah is just super ashamed. And uh, Tyrion says, <laughs> he worships you. He's, He's in, in love, love with, with you, you I, think. I think. And it, the camera cuts to Danny, and the this comment gave her a little smile. If you look, you can see she's smiling a little bit, not seeing uh, Tyrion reinforce what she wants to hear, you know, that Jorah does care for her and is loyal to her. Yeah. So Tyrion goes on saying, but, you know, he did not trust you with the truth. An unpleasant truth, to be sure, but one of great significance to you. He did not trust that you would be wise enough to forgive him. And this is important, too, because here Tyrion is planting the seed for forgiveness. He did not trust that you would be wise enough to forgive him. He's implying here that the wise thing to do would be to forgive forgive. Jorah. Yeah. Right. However, although it may be appropriate to forgive him for his betrayal, since he is, you know, true blue at this point, Team Danny, the wound of his lack of trust in Danny is still fresh and still needs time to heal. And this seed is going to need some time to sprout as well. So he's, he's planting the seeds here for, for Jorah. And this is sort of his own way of repaying Jorah for, <laughs> for saving his life, I would say. He can't yeah. be, you know, it can't be too upfront about it. Like, oh, you should take him back into your services, you know, because then it's like, it seems like it's he's chilling, you know, basically. Yeah. So, so he's planting little seeds that will, will grow over time. And we do know that Danny ends up taking Jorah back into her service, which is, uh, or yeah, into her service, which is great. So she asks if she could, should kill him. And again, his logic is just on point here. A ruler who kills those that are devoted to her is not a ruler that inspires devotion. Like, who's going to become devoted to you if you're killing the people that are already devoted to you, right? And you can tell that this sort of th- <laughs> throws Danny's brain into a little loop. And she like, she's like, she's <laughs> like, fuck. Yeah, totally. It's, it's great. And uh, it also it must strike her as a very poignant statement because it's a mistake that she recently made. She learned this lesson very recently when the freed slave who was one of her council members took it upon himself to kill the harpy who had killed the, the unsullied soldier. And she oh, yeah. publicly executed him in front of the yeah. Maronese. And that resulted in the whole crowd hissing at her and everything. So you don't want to kill people that are devoted to you. He, you know, he, he was devoted to her and that did not play out well for Danny at all. So she recognizes no. the wisdom in Tyrion's statement here. Um, and it, it must strike a chord with her. So Tyrion is just playing all the cards right here and making all the right moves. He, he suggests to, uh, you know, he says, he, he says, don't kill him basically. And Danny's like, okay, she processes it and then says, remove Sir Jorah from the city. So Tyrion is playing all his cards right here. He's, he's uh, getting in her good graces. He's giving her what she wants, which is a way to not kill Jorah, basically, <laughs> to yeah. save face. Um, but still punish him because she's so mad and it's, you know, it's, it's not time yet to forgive him. And so uh, it, it's a sad moment again with Jorah's second exile from Marine, his third exile <laughs> overall. He's just being exiled all over the Run place. everywhere. Yeah, nobody wants Jorah around, apparently, <laughs> sadly. 
So uh, they're both holding back tears and Jorah is just crushed and he wants nothing more than to just serve his Khaleesi, you know, super sad. So at least Tyrion has set the stage for future forgiveness by convincing Danny not to kill him and planting seeds that he is worthy of forgiveness and that the wise thing to do would be to kill him, to, to, <laughs> to uh, forgive him. And yeah, that he, that he's devoted, giving him props where he's, where they're due. Cause he is, he's super devoted and anybody, any idiot can see that. Yeah. So, um, sending her, him away again is going to allow her some time to cool off and a little space so she can begin to miss him and recognize the value of his counsel that she's lacking. What do they say? Um, you don't know how much you miss something until it's gone or how, how yes. badly you need something until it's gone. I think that's going to be one of the case, like that'll be the case here with Jora, kind of. Yeah. Cause you can tell that she misses him. You know, she doesn't know what to do. It, she's debating on keeping him there too. I think, you yeah, know, definitely like all these things that Tyrion is saying to her, are striking chords in her heart that maybe she was harsh to, exile him so quickly the first time mm -hmm. but she needs to save face and keep him exiled at least keep her word on that right just to keep him. her word it sucks shitty situation it's also kind of fucked up that jorah is even getting this close to her with grayscale that's true you know like i wouldn't want to so, risk so with the grayscale if he touches her with his like non-infected arm she'll get it uh i think it probably depends there's there's probably a lot of factors because i was curious he does touch her at daznak's pit he pulls her to safety oh that's right that's right okay yeah. and that's when he's I, like infected yeah that's right okay so it's not a it's it i i think the infected scaly part has to touch maybe someone or residue else's or something yeah, or maybe he grabbed her and didn't touch her skin. We'll have to take a good look when we get to that episode. Definitely. That's coming up here shortly. Yeah, totally. So next, um, oh, we get a sad moment as Jorah gets <laughs> ushered out through the gates again. And he looks at his grayscale and uh, proceeds onward to, to yeah. imminent doom, essentially. Back to the fighting pits. Yeah, so he's got a plan and he's going to uh, try to you know make it happen. But uh, next, we come back to Danny and Tyrion, who are sitting and talking alone this time. So she really feels pretty comfortable around Tyrion at this point, if uh, if she's allowing herself to be alone with him. Would you agree? I would definitely agree with that. And yeah. she she seems pretty relaxed, too. She's not tense. Yeah, not like, at all. She's leaning back in her chair. She's drinking wine. Yeah, her posture is signaling that she's very relaxed. Yeah. So she's like, so, have you decided whether I'm worthy of your service? <laughs> and they, they just have, like, the coolest relationship, you know? <laughs> the best back and forth. Have you decided yet whether you're going to have me killed? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably my safest option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can see why you'd think so. It's what your father would have done. And she, she uh, asks what his father would have done. My father. You know, he says, it's basically, he's like, yeah, my father sentenced me to death publicly. So uh, it's kind of clear what he would have done. And uh, I like the, the sentiment. She asks, is that why you killed him? And he says, 
Someday, if, if you decide not to execute me, I'll tell you all about why I killed my father. And on that day, if it should ever come, we'll need more <laughs> wine than this. Because <laughs> he loves his wine. Uh, and it must be pretty rough if he needs that much wine to talk about it. So he's opening up to her a little bit. You can tell he wants to have that conversation with her. Definitely. Looking forward to getting to know her. And likewise, uh, her as well. So she basically admits that she knows that her father was fucked up and that he earned his name, the Mad King. And Tyrion has another great line. So here we sit, two terrible children of two terrible fathers. <laughs> and he, you know, she's like, I'm terrible? And he basically tells her, yeah, well... You know, there's multiple kinds of terrible. You need to be terrible in the right way. Yeah, you need to be the type <laughs> of terrible that, that prevents your people from being even more terrible than you are. <laughs> so uh, they're talking about things she, that she's done, and he's like, yeah, you know, it was probably smart to open the fighting pits, and it's pretty wild that you agreed to marry somebody you loathed. My sister did that, but she ended up killing him. And Danny has a great response. Perhaps it won't come to that. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty funny. So I have a question. Does Danny ever actually marry his daughter in the book? Like they actually have a ceremony and get married? They do. Because I was wondering, like, if she's married to him when they go to the, the big fighting pits where um, Drogon comes in, if they're already married there or not. They are, yeah. Yep, they are. So <laughs> Tyrion drops a bombshell here. It's not impossible that Varys was right about you after all. And she's like, <coughs> like <laughs> spits out her wine, basically. Varys, King Robert's spy master? Yes. And he basically divulges, you know, he's the one that told me how great you are and convinced me to come all the way over here. He was, I was hanging out with him 10 minutes ago before Jorah kidnapped me. <laughs> and uh, she's like, Jorah sent my secrets to that asshole. For 20 years, he oversaw the, the, the campaign to try to kill me. And uh, it makes sense that she's very wary of the spider. Um, although it's pretty amazing how quickly she sort of warms to Tyrion's perspective here and entertains his, his, his position. Um, he says, you know, that Varys did what he had to do to survive. And most importantly, that Tyrion suspects that he's the main reason that Daenerys wasn't slaughtered in her crib. I kind of found this interesting because Jorah, to start this whole, like, why she exiled him in the first place, Jorah was sending letters to Varys. Right. And in a weird way, Jorah was doing Danny kind of a roundabout favor in doing so because those, that information caused Varys to interesting feel that she was the right ruler for right, right, the right. seven kingdoms and get Tyrion over there. So he, I mean, in a roundabout way, he's a huge player in getting her to Westeros. Right. Eventually. In solidifying various perspective about her. Yeah. Potentially. I mean, yeah. Earlier in the conversation, Tyrion, when he was telling his story about when he was a young man, he heard about this baby born in a, you know, in a, the greatest storm ever. And all this, he was talking about how, she would escape places just days before or minutes before her, the hunters would be closing in to kill her. And so I think what, what Tyrion is also implying here is that Varys was tipping off Illyrio Mopatis, for instance, to, to get Danny to moved move around her. to safety. 
to protect her as these killers were closing in. He sends the killers and then he sends a raven to get there before the killers to make sure that she's safe. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which is pretty definitely. intense. That's quite the game. Yeah, I think it's probably pretty accurate too cuz this is a long game that Varies has been playing. It's been going on forever as long, you know, as long as Well, it's been going on since the first episode. Before that. You know, that's just when we popped into the story. She's been being sheltered in various places this that's whole time. That's true. Good point. Yep. Yeah. So how old is she in the books? Like she's like 15 or something. So it's good I think 15 she's like 15. Years. Yeah. So uh, I like that Tyr- Tyrion stands up for Varys here, which is pretty cool. And Danny's Danny seems to warm to it pretty quickly. She's like, she's like, but do you trust him? You know? not she doesn't argue with him like that's impossible he's the spider he can't be trusted you know she's asking him like do you trust him like damn that's something you ask if you're willing to like have a sit down with somebody you know what i mean so Tyrion's like yes oddly (laughs) like i don't know why i trust him but he might be the only person in the world that i trust besides my brother the brother who killed my father? <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> Perhaps I will have you killed after all. <laughs> this conversation is pure gold. <laughs> and he responds, <laughs> your queenly prerogative. <laughs> like, clearly not worried about it. Like, this is just banter at this point. They're like, so super comfortable with each other. It's, it's just kind of amazing that somebody could be brought in by somebody she exiled out of nowhere Somebody known for killing his family members and a king, basically. And yeah. she's just like, I think he seems pretty trustworthy. She's like, I'm not going to kill you. Yeah, and maybe she's just at the perfectly emotion- emotionally vulnerable moment where Tyrion's able to sort of manipulate her in, in, into letting him into her good graces. If that's the case, that would be dangerous. Imagine if Tyrion was was a plant, for instance, I know. I I think she realizes, though, that he's not because she knows that Jorah, as much as he betrayed her, she knows that he's on her side. Yeah. And wouldn't bring Tyrion to her if he didn't think Mm -hmm. it was a good idea. Plus the other little things that Tyrion has said, like it's not good to kill people who are devoted to you. It doesn't inspire devotion. She just learned that lesson, too. So they're just he's just saying things that are clicking with her. And that that's making the other kind of crazy things that he's saying that things that she doesn't necessarily trust. She's at least a little more open to them because of that. So, and he's witty. I mean, he's kind of funny and dry. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. So totally. he, I mean, he's, he's endearing. Great. He's he's very endearing. I would. I mean, I would listen to him. You know what I mean? If I were in her <laughs> situation, I would. Probably maybe have a guard with me just in case, but <laughs> yeah, for sure. I would listen to him. Yeah. So yeah, I think so. Yeah. So uh, he, he further goes on. He says that he'd given up on life until various convinced him that she might be worth fighting for. So even if the worst case scenario, if she does kill him, her queenly prerogative, at least his final days were kind of interesting. <laughs> and this is where she, this it's enough. This has been enough for her to make a decision she's like i'm not going to kill you no banish me no No. so if i'm not going to be murdered and i'm not going to be banished (laughs) 
And she she tells him straight out, you're going to advise me. Yep. You're going to advise me while you can still speak in complete sentences. Yep, all right. She takes all right. his cup away. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. The, a classic moment because we know he's yes. the god of tits and wine. He drank his he whole, drinks the whole and he way to Marine, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, he, it's probably a good move. Take the cup away while you can. Give it back in a little bit <laughs> so he doesn't freak out. <laughs> Start getting the DTs. But he's uh, yeah, a man so that funny. drinks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So he's just like, advise you on what? And she says, how to get what I want. And what I thought was kind of funny because earlier, that's what I had gleaned from Tyrion's goal to give her what she wanted a way to let Jorah off the hook kind of without having to kill him. Yeah. But still save yeah. face. That's something that she wanted. And he was able to tell that by her question, how can they trust me if I don't follow through with killing him basically? So he was able to give her what she wanted and that's what she wants. That's exactly what he needs to do for her. So this makes perfect sense that, um, that's her response here, how to get what I want. And I thought that it was pretty interesting that he has this sort of like eagle's eye perspective on the whole scenario where he suggests that maybe the Iron Throne isn't even the best option for her, that maybe the place where she can do the most good is here, where she's freed all these people and brought all this positive change. I just thought it was a really, really interesting concept that Tyrion would go there with it, like kind Definitely. of pulling her not necessarily poo-pooing it, but like saying that her whole plan that she's had this this whole time may not be the best idea. Which is actually kind of a true, I mean, that's that could very well be true. I just think that he's concerned about her going back to Westeros. She's never lived there as an adult. Right. He's like, what's the point? It's You're already kind a queen of in here. chaos still. Cersei's wigging out in King's Landing. Wigging out. <laughs> Stannis and the Boltons are about ready to go at each other. And it's like, bring, I I also maybe think it's partially selfish too, that Tyrion doesn't want to go back to Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's hilarious. Yeah. And it also could be a little bit of meta commentary uh, by the writers. Cause you know, people are kind of mad that Daenerys stayed in Marine for so long. Yeah. So this be, could, could be like a little bit of meta commentary doing lip service to justify her extended presence in Marine. Yeah, that maybe she's meant to be there. Right. Just to just to <laughs> ease the the viewers' minds a little bit and we're like, come on, get back to Westeros already. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> Which is pretty funny. That was a that was a good episode when she was finally on that fucking boat. I'm like, finally. Right. Totally. Was it season six finale? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's great. Oh, and one of my I I'm we'll get there in season seven, but when she steps on the dragonstone for the first time and she puts her hand in the, in the sand, sand and feels yeah. it oh my god i got goosebumps so everywhere. cool it's my fave great moment so here she goes on to say that you know she's fought so that no child born in slaver's bay would ever know what it was like to be bought or sold and she'll continue that fight here and beyond but Marine is not her home you know she's homesick she's always been homesick fun it's kind of funny though because in the books what she imagines as home is this house with a red front door. And I think it's someplace in Bravos or something like that. So it's not even Westeros that she like really dreams of. Oh, interesting. As funny. Her home. Yeah. <laughs> That's not surprising though, because I mean, she was born there, but she didn't really spend any time right. there. Her memories that are of this, like this 
this house with the red door with a lemon tree. I think did it was. her mom die in giving birth to her or yes. So Tyrion and Danny have that in common as well. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty interesting that, you know, they both had terrible fathers, which they talk about. Yep. They both killed this, their mothers. <laughs> kind of. They both, yeah, they both were orphaned, you know, and the fact that their, their mothers died during childbirth and their parent, their fathers were more concerned about grand matters than their own children. Yeah, totally. So Tyrion asks her that like, so, okay, so you're, you're still going to go to Westeros anyway, whatever. Well, when you get there, who's going to support you? Like, do you have any the common people? Right. And so pre pre <laughs> previously when when Illyrio had been whispering in Viserys's ear, the people, so dragon banners awaiting your return, etc., And then Danny called him out for the bullshit on that. You know, she told uh, Jorah that Viserys is, buying into these lies that it's probably not the true she was like aware of that so i was kind of surprised here that she went back to this idea that the common people are like sewing dragon banners in secret basically so Tyrion's like he is he doesn't want to outright say good luck with that right so he's like let's be generous and assume that that's going to happen like it's not, i love yeah. it be generous like yeah, yeah. it's not yeah. even in the realm of possibility but totally. okay again very bold of him to be contradicting her uh, and telling her difficult truths uh which is just what she needs again so um he's like well here in slaver's bay that's what the deal is you know you have the common people and only the common people none of the rich people support you how has that been is that working out for you <laughs> not really <laughs> oh, we have people with gold harpy masks running amok in our city right. killing and, everybody <laughs> and, and house targaryen is gone not a single person who shares your blood is alive to support you and i thought that this line was great because maester aemon did just die sadly so as far as anybody knows that that's actually the case now she's the last targaryen but John, Aegon, her brother, or cousin, sorry. Nephew. Uh, nephew, yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> one of those. Yeah, one of those things. And, and right on cue, after saying, not a single person who shares your blood is alive to support you, the next two words are, the Starks. Starks. Are gone as well. And the well. Targaryens. Yeah. yeah. I have this in my note. I'm like, Jon Snow, Jon Snow. Yeah, so it's sort of like that moment with Maester Aemon, a Targaryen alone in the world is a horrible thing. And then Jon walks right in. Same kind of thing here. Not a single person who shares your blood is alive to support you. The Starks are gone as well. Just a li another little hint. There's, there's some type of relation between Stark and Targaryen. Yeah. Um, and he again relates to her after saying the Starks are gone as well. Our two terrible fathers saw to that. Yeah, they, they have a lot, of, lot in common. This, this pairing is very entertaining for me. Yes, absolutely. It's, like, it's got to be in my top five pairings, I would say. Oh, for sure. It's pretty 100%. awesome. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a difficult list to crack. Yeah, this is definitely a top fiver, though. Yeah. Tyrion and Bronn would be one of them. Tyrion um, and anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tyrion and Bronn. <laughs> Hound and Arya. Um, yeah, I'd have to think about it a little more, but these are in there, too. 
So uh, he he's, he goes on, you know, the, the remaining Lannisters don't even like think about them backing you. They won't, not ever. Although it looks like Jamie may end up backing her pretty damn soon, which is pretty Possibly. great. Yeah, because he's heading north, right? So, yep. Hopefully they'll he'll connect with them at Winterfell or something and join the uh, the, the the light side. <laughs> join Team <laughs> Fire and Blood or Team, team Fire and ice. ice. Yeah, yeah. So Stannis won't back her. Because his entire claim to the throne depends on the on her not being eligible, um, and luckily for Danny, Stannis isn't going to be an obstacle for much longer. <laughs> like really, not much longer at all. Like the next episode. Yeah, and that leaves the Tyrells, but you know they're just not strong enough. They don't have that type of military power to. Back it's just her. not enough. Yeah, it's yeah. Just not enough people. Period. And then this is Daener- where Danny oh, comes in. Oh, my favorite in. line. You, you want to say it? <laughs> Lannister, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell. They're all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins, crushing the people on the ground. It's a beautiful dream, stopping the wheel. You're not the first person to have dreamt it. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. Ugh. Love it. I love this line, too, and I... It's uh, it's the line that was in the season six or season five trailer before it came out. Remember yeah, that? I do. Yeah. And, and it came out in like December or something like that. I remember working in this warehouse where I was working with my little speaker hanging around my neck and, and watching this, this video when I was supposed to be working and being like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for this. I did that whole wheel analogy on this, this line of how, of the opening credits. Ooh. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It was really That's good, actually. W- this line is what started that whole analysis that totally. I did. So let's take this idea, the idea of not stopping the wheel, but breaking the wheel. What does that look like when all is said and done? It, who's sitting the throne? Is there a throne? What's the scenario? I think it's chaos. I don't I don't think there's going to be anybody on top. Well, breaking the wheel and creating chaos is not something that Danny would be in favor of. She's got to have well, some I, sort of end game. No, I'm like at the end of at the end of the series or at the end of Yeah, what? like uh like when when once she breaks the wheel and the dust settles, what's the system that's left in place? The White Walkers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brutal. <laughs> it's entirely possible too. That's yeah. so funny. So what what I like thinking here is that the concept of breaking the wheel is metaphorical for the concept of eliminating monarchy. Oh. Like okay. um, in Europe. What we have in Europe is basically this wheel system, at least, you know up until pretty recently, a series of connected families sort of alternating in terms of who's sitting on top of the power structure. The Lancasters, the Yorks, the Plantagenets, the Tudors, the Stuarts, House of Windsor, the Saxe-Coburg Gothas, all these connected families who are intermarrying and just trading off the kingship, basically. So to me, what I'm hoping to see is the idea of breaking the wheel 
is stopping that chain, that whole system, and starting something new from the ground up. What I would like to see happen is for a system of a constitutional republic to be put in place, where there are elected representatives who serve to to protect the rights of the small folk, basically. <laughs> Which is a system that we've sort of developed after all these centuries of being crushed under our own wheels, basically. Um, The United States pioneering this concept and then having it spread to other places throughout the world. So it's, it's, I, I think, just think that would be a pretty cool concept to see play out somehow. And I mean, there's only six episodes <laughs> left, so I'm rooting more for the books for that at this point. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited to see how they wrap up these story arcs for the show, because I have a feeling it's going to be definitely different than how it wraps up in the books. Right. And that's fine with me. Totally. Yeah. Like having two parallel alternate universes with different events happening in each one uh, gives you something exciting to look forward to in either one. Yeah. It's great. Like I, a choose your own adventure. I can't imagine the show. I just have a gut feeling that it's not going to be pretty. And the yeah. last episode of the series, it's going to be like fucking rough. It's gonna be bad. Like not bad it's gonna be amazing, but it's gonna It's gonna it's hurt. It's not going to this the show is not going to turn out like a happy ending. Like, they killed off the main character in the first season. (laughs) Yeah, if you think this is a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. Yeah, so I think that rings very true to George R.R. Martin's writing. Now, I think in the book that there may be destruction and death, but there might be a little bit more detail on some some of them survive. Do you know what I mean? to to have some sort of construction of of a solution yeah we have like what six episodes yeah. so even if even if they're two hours each we'll be generous and say two hours each let's be generous and say that that happens <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's only 12 hours of screen time to finish <laughs> off this amazing story so sad oh, fuck. <laughs> it's gonna be awesome though so yeah, that's my idea. Breaking the wheel means destroying the concept of kingship and monarchy and putting in place a system that actually represents the interests of the small people and serves to protect their rights to prevent them from being crushed on the ground by some wheel that's just rolling over everybody. Powered by I like it. bastards. Yeah. Pretty cool. So that that's pretty much sums up my extremely long number five. Okay, that um, was my number five and my number three. So, <laughs> so how about you jump into your number four? My number four is Sansa Finds the Truth. Ooh, all right. That's my number two, I think. Okay, cool. The Bran and Rickon revelation. Yes, yes. So Theon goes into Sansa's chamber and... Theon or Reek? Or Reek, sorry. <laughs> You know why I said that though is because my script my script yeah, the says script Theon. Says those bastards. Yeah, so it's Reek, but um Reek goes into her chambers and she's usually in bed, so he's like looking over that way to see if she's there. Mm-hmm. And he looks in, right in front of him and she's sitting in the chair dressed. Yeah. Oh, uh, and this is I don't like this, man. She seems very stiff. 
like she's in pain and she's kind of freaking out like why did you tell him and i just feel like the way that she's sitting and oh she got stuff, beat like, to shit something is wrong like she's been yeah abused in some horrible way yeah she's hurting mm-hmm. for sure yeah it's bad but she's strong enough to get dressed and face this asshole that ruined her her plan and also killed her brothers in her mind at the, before, you know, the revelation. Yeah. And like, you know, stole their castle and. Yeah. And, you know, she's like, why? Why, Theon? And he goes, not Theon. There is no Theon. Reek. Reek. Why did you tell him Reek? You I know, was helping you. You were trying to escape. There's no escape. Not ever. Theon Greyjoy tried to escape. The master knew he knows everything. That line is so terrifying to me. Ugh. The master knew. Ugh. He knows everything. Mm-hmm. He hunted him. He caught him. He strapped him to a cross and cut away piece after piece until there was no Theon left. Uh. And Sansa is like, good. If it weren't for you, I would still have a family. Yeah. If I could do what Ramsay did to you right now, right here i would and it's so just, hardcore Ugh. and he's like i deserved everything deserved i deserve to, to be weak. oh it's so sad it's kind of sad so sad he, he's you know he he's 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 working on it he's 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 been punished a lot and he's had a lot of time to think about this it's you like, know i, I did terrible i did terrible things i turned on rob i captured winterfell i killed those boys they weren't those boys they were bran and rickon she like immediately jumps up out of the chair as soon as he says those boys they were your brothers you know you've known them since they were born which is true they weren't they were only only what i i can't i can't tell me not unless the master says Tell me they weren't what? He slips up there. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. It's a break in the reek armor. Yeah, it's a crack. Oh, man, it's so fucked up. So she's like, tell me what the fuck is going on? Like, tell me they weren't your brothers. Tell me to my face, Theon. And this is when he divulges it. They weren't Brandon Rickon. I couldn't find them. It was two farm boys. I killed them and burned them so no one would know. And interestingly... In a way, a twisted way, but in a way, Theon actually saved Bran and Rickon here. Because by burning those two little boys, the hunt was off for yep. Bran and Rickon. And even though yep. it was sort of their, his fault that they'd been displaced and put in danger, at least at like this one action, sacrificing these other two boys, let them escape instead of, um, you know, the hounds would have been... <laughs> Just going forever, basically. Yeah. No, I completely agree. It's totally true because everyone thought they were dead. Yeah. There, There's actually kind of a little bit of safety in that. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of safety in that. You know, why did so. Tupac do it? <laughs> so <laughs> so the, the look on Sansa's face is just, she's like exhilarated by this. Well, her eyes show so much. That it's a profile camera shot. But you can see her eyes like moving like around Theon's face, like trying to process what he's Is saying. Is it true? Looking for signs of lies or of stuff like that? Yeah, exactly. Tells. 
exactly. Ah, uh, man. You know, you know, do you know where they went? You know, that's like, yeah, where that's the, fuck the, that's are the they? question. Like, you like, didn't kill the them. Fuck? Where are they? Yeah. And he's like, I can't talk to you anymore. Theon, you have to tell me. You, do you have any idea where Bran and Rick on? Not, Not Theon. Theon. Reek. Reek. <laughs> <laughs> this is my all time favorite Reek freak out right here. <laughs> <laughs> I could just listen to this on a loop forever. Not the Reek. And he runs off like Napoleon Dynamite. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's a classic Reek Freak. Yes, totally. Uh, Reek. <laughs> Reek Freak. <laughs> you know? Nice. A Reek Tweak. He tweaks out. Oh, man, that's so great. It just runs out and then the, it leaves the camera still on Sansa and she's breathing breathing intensely she's like <sighs> bewildered like hyperventilating with exhilaration by the news of this remarkable truth that her brothers are alive you know she's learned that john is on top of his game up at the wall now her brothers are alive her family is starting to come back like imagine yeah, that it's true it's it's an important scene for her development and i think it gives her something to live for i think being ramsey's sex toy for all intensive purposes she's not in a good situation there and yeah. this news of her family that i mean for all she knows they could be dead because you know they may not still be alive mm -hmm. because it's been quite some time but there's a glimmer of hope yeah it's a bit of hope which she needs most at this point exactly it's it's gonna carry her through till she can escape the situation yeah pretty epic and reek helps her escape too so that's true kind of, this is kind of the start of this um that whole storyline fucking reek <laughs> getting up to the wall reek, reek. reek rhymes with freak nice so yeah um what is your number four my number four is desperate cersei okay <laughs> So we first see Cersei, she's holed up in the cells under the sept. I guess there's cells under the sept. That's pretty crazy. Well, let's put them in the, the, the church dungeon, you know? <laughs> That's pretty hardcore. And she seems strong at first. Septa Unella, Unella is saying, confess. And uh, she's like, let me speak to Tommen. And she gets slapped and she's, she's refusing to back down. And I think it's hilarious here. Um, shame Septa, Septa Unella. She's always like stuck on repeat with one word or another. Yes. Obviously, she's most famous for shame, shame, yeah. shame. But here she's confess, confess, confess. <laughs> confess. She is the director <laughs> of the Department of Redundancy Department. <laughs> the master of repetition. <laughs> yeah. So uh, she's she's not having any of this and she's slapping Cersei around and telling her to confess. And Cersei's like, you know, I told you before the last thing you see before you die is going to be my face and whack one more slap and Septa Yunella leaves. And this is hardcore because up until this exact moment, Cersei has pretty much always displayed outwardly the facade of strength and armor so it's pretty fucking hardcore here as we see the cracks start to rip apart in Cersei's strong exterior armor as she starts to scream right before the camera cuts away. 
And I was like, oh, man, this Uh, is getting crazy. She looks crazy when she does that, too. It's such great acting on Lena Headey's. Wait, is that her name? Yeah, Len- Lena Hetty or Lena Lena Hetty, or- Lena. He- <laughs> Lena Hetty, Lena Hetty, Lena Hetty, whatever. <laughs> as long as you don't make me see the v- the VM words, <laughs> I'm fine with it. <laughs> so uh, next, we get Kyburn showing up to visit Cersei. This is so sad. Yeah, so he's informing her that there's going to be a trial and that there's a substantial case being presented against her with including charges of fornication, treason, incest, and regicide, the murder of King Robert. And Cersei's like, all lies. And Kyburn, classic response. Of course. Of course, your grace. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'm just going to agree with you. <laughs> you know, oh man, it's funny. So his que- his problem is that he's concerned that the religious extremists aren't going to adhere to the same standards as, of proof as the crown. And it's like, what standards of proof? The crown, all he's got, all the king has to do is just condemn you to death and you're dead. Like, uh, unless you demand a trial by combat, I guess, if you're eligible for that. Because it doesn't seem like the small folk really have that option. They're just getting executed left and right. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. So uh, he's like, I hope you excuse me for saying it, but belief is so often the death of reason. (laughs) And he's taking a big dig at religion here. And Cersei's like, fuck, like they totally duped you. You're right. She's like, "Uh, I wish you'd said that sooner. You know, (laughs) like, God damn it. You should have advised me better. I don't think it would have changed your mind, though. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, she says that now, but she... Right, she's so stubborn. She would have stayed on her on her course. This would have happened anyways. Totally. Or totally. something like it. So, on top of that, more bad news. Pycelle has summoned Kevin, Uncle Kevin, from Casterly Rock to serve as hand. And he now presides over the small council, and he's refusing to come see you, Cersei. So, you're kind of just stuck here. Plus, Tommen is not taking the situation very well, and he's basically holed up in his room, like, eating occasionally, (laughs) which is not good. He won't even talk to me. I love how she says it, too. She goes, what about my son, the king? Like, she's so proud of that, you know? Yeah. Like, she gets a sense of peace on her face when she thinks about her son. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, So... The king's not coming, <laughs> basically. <laughs> uh, he won't even meet with Kyburn. He's tried. So uh, he He's not he even tells eating. Her, yeah, yeah, it's fucked up. So he tells her, but there is a way, your grace, a way out. And she knows what it is to confess. She, she won't. She's like, fuck that. I made the high sparrow. I rose him up from nothing. I'm not going to kneel before some barefooted commoner and beg his forgiveness. And this made me think of Mance Raider. Yeah, absolutely. Who also refused to kneel, but for an entirely different reason. John had mistaken his philosophical principle of freedom for being an issue of pride. Remember he said what your, your, your pride means so much that you're going to condemn your people to death by not kneeling. Yep. And he's like, my pride has nothing to do with this. This is a matter of principle, basically. Whereas, with Cersei here, it's totally just because of her pride. 
100%. I'm not going to kneel before some barefooted commoner and beg his forgiveness. You know, if that's not pride talking, I don't know what is. Yep. So it's just kind of funny. um, Whereas Mance Raider's stance had meaning and, and actually he was standing for something. Cersei's just being Cersei. <laughs> Typical, right? So Cersei, devil woman. Yeah, so Yunella enters the room again, and Cersei has a hilarious reaction. She, like, s- scurries ov- over to the opposite side of the room to get, <laughs> to get as far away from Yunella <laughs> as possible, which I thought was really funny. And uh, Kyburn bids her adieu and leaves. The work continues. The work continues, yes. Goodbye, my queen. So then we get back to Cersei. Yeah, totally. So then we return to Cersei a little later, and she's in an even worse place at this point. At this point, she's trying desperately to to work Yunella. So Yunella's like, confess. I'll get out of here, you realize, before long. Confess. Confess. I can make you a wealthy woman, a lady of the court. Confess. <laughs> I can make sure you die in the most hideous way imaginable. And Confess! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so first she's like using the mean girl tactic, like kind of bullying her, acting cocky, like, I'm going to get out of here, you realize, before long, trying to manipulate her that way. She's like, second, whatever. Yeah, second she tries to bribe her, so she's changing tactics. <laughs> I can give you money and prestige and power. Which is the last thing that this lady wants. Yeah, like, yeah. Again, where does power come from? Does it come from, you know, your, your faith? Does it come from the guy with the money who's paying you? Does it come from your honor? Like, this is this, this idea of the, where power is derived from is a, a constant theme throughout this show riddles yeah so then she starts threatening her for the third tactic you know saying she'll kill her in horrible ways oh and she's just such a sociopath like this is something you'd expect to see from like um like a like a serial killer or something who's trying to get out of being busted just working any angle possible to manipulate the person that they're dealing with trying to figure out what makes them tick and just uh take advantage of that in any way that they can. Yeah. So just like we saw Sansa at her lowest point in the last episode, uh, when she's all covered with bruises, barely clothed, just frantic talking with Reek and uh, crying and freaking out. This is where we see Cersei in this episode at her lowest yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, after the she goes a little bit lower, though. Yeah, yeah. Before yeah. she starts coming up again. Totally. <laughs> so after she tries threatening Septa Yunella, Yunella is like not having any of this bullshit anymore, and she dumps the water that she's trying to, you know, if she confesses, she'll give her some water. You know, she dumps it all over bribery. the floor. Yeah, speaking of bribery, and Cersei reluctantly at first she starts sucking up the water from the floor and it's like she's sort of like oh i can't do this and you gets like draining back out of her mouth and then <laughs> she's like ah and it's like really starts sucking up that water right off the floor at the end i love there. the camera angles in this scene it's they're all like really close up it's really close up of septa yanella mm-hmm. from a downward angle but it's close 
and the light is shining above her and then Cersei it's a downward facing camera and it's really close yeah, on her and then Janella. it's a really symmetrical shot when she's like dipping over to drink the water off mm -hmm. the floor like her hair flows everywhere if they're it's, actually in a building here in some sort of cell it makes sense that the shots are tight because they wouldn't have much room <laughs> yeah i like it though because it's oh, yeah, it, it makes it a, a little lot. bit more intense you know yeah, it's like we see yeah pressure. we kind of get a feeling of how it feels in there tension yeah. and anger and un un being uncomfortable yeah it's a great technique definitely imparts that that feeling the vibe pretty well so basically it's just unreal to me to go from Cersei, the master of her own universe, talking shit about everybody. Now she's licking water off the floor of some dirty ass ew. barefoot cell. Ew, ew, with uh, like, like a shit pot five feet away from her. Right. This is low. <laughs> this is real low. This is pretty low. This is the, what everybody's been hoping for since season one, basically, just to see Cersei get knocked down a few levels. Karma. Yeah, karma is a biatch. Sometimes even a bigger bitch than Cersei is. <laughs> and that's a tall order. For real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that covers my number four. What uh what do you have for number three? My number three was Danny and Tyrion and Tyrion becoming her advisor and ah, breaking right. the wheel. So, so I guess we could talk about my number three real quick. Yeah, what's your number three? My number three is one one. Tormund. Yeah, dude. <laughs> one one is the coolest man. Tormund. Yeah, he's he's back in Tormund. He's back in John, and uh, he's just so badass when he busts out of that building with the the skeleton whites crawling all over him, and he's just yeah. picking them off like little bugs and stomping on him curb stomping I love on him. when he stomps on that one yeah that one john was so like and he's like oh fuck yeah john was so distracted by this giant who just busted out of this this building <laughs> that he completely didn't even see the white that was running right at him and right at the last second when it's like three feet away from john one one just crushes him and stomps right down on him <laughs> yeah. john's like thanks dude <laughs> right back at you yeah, and then he's just he picks up that telephone pole sized log and he's just swinging it around and crushing all these dudes all these i whites. like it when he wades into the i know we're gonna go into hard home yeah, battle here shortly but, sure, but anything um, one one related is fair game right now yeah <laughs> i love there's a really cool shot too where it's like a sort of an upward angled shot from in front of john and dolorous ed and uh even notice how oh, people when they're say, running yeah they're running and one one is boom boom lumbering behind them just a really cool shot you ever notice how people call dolorous ed they call him dolores ed dolores yeah. <laughs> like the girl's name <laughs> yeah it's not dolores it's dolores exhibiting dolor sadness melancholy so <laughs> it's just <so> funny. <laughs> Dolores Ed. That camera angle also is used. Well, it's not the same camera angle, but John and Tormund and One One run at the um, the Battle of the Bastards up to the Winterfell gates nice. like that too, oh, in like a little triangle. Yes, that's great. 
Yeah, so when I saw that, I was like, oh, we see that again here in a few episodes at Love the Battle it. of the Bastards. Can't wait for that episode, too. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, two epic battles really close to each other. Totally. So whites are still crawling all over 1-1, and he's, <laughs> they're like up on his back trying to bite at his neck and everything. And he's just ripping them off and pulling them apart into pieces <laughs> and yeah. playing golf with them, basically, with that big pole. <laughs> and uh, and then um, Tormund has his great line, one, one to the sea. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why that's just so funny. And one, one lumbers over towards the water and everybody's just looking up like, oh my God, what is, you know, this is crazy. Like all the Night's Watch guys at least are still like kind of in shock to be anywhere near a giant. And like, like uh, when, when he was in that, that hut at first and Dolores Ed goes in there and he sort of looks up at at one one and he's just like, oh my God, like there's a giant. It's real. Holy shit. And he's like, dude, oh my God, I can't believe I'm this close to a giant. And uh, he's basically like a deer in the headlights for a couple seconds there just staring at one yeah. one. And one one says something in giant, giant language. But what did the, the translation came up on screen as fuck you looking at <laughs> yeah. something like that? Yeah. So good. Um, basically one, one is just the coolest man. He is the coolest. So when he goes off there at the end and he wades down into the water, I love that. Yeah. And he's, he just goes right past all the boats and everything. What's his plan from there? Does he climb up onto a ship? Does he backstroke all the way to, <laughs> to Castle Black? Like, I think he probably gets on a ship. <laughs> yeah. So they must one, go from one. hard home back down to East watch, get off there. And then, Go back over to Castle Walk. Black. Yeah, it's quite a journey. Why didn't they just take the ships south of the wall? Oh. They, they don't, because remember, they end up on the north side of the wall, and John's like, please open the gate, Alistair. Like, <laughs> Yeah, interesting. They could have just sailed around East Watch, gotten off there, and taken the wall path back, basically, to Castle Black or something. Can you sail past East? I guess you can. It's the Shivering yeah. Sea. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, interesting. Mm. That would have been the safer move. <clears throat> yeah, well, this is something that hasn't happened in the book yet, so we can blame that plot hole in the show writers, I guess. Yes. That's pretty funny. So, yeah, that's my number three. One, one. I guess it should have been number one. One, one, one is the number one. <laughs> so, what's, uh, what's your number two? My number two is Arya and Jockin and her faceless... Lady Lana and her oyster <laughs> cart. <laughs> um, so we start off this kind of scene with Arya, and she goes, My name is Lana. I'm an orphan. When I was eight, I begged enough money to buy my first bucket of oysters. Oysters. I sold that bucket and made enough money to buy two more. And Jockin must be pretty impressed at this point because he hasn't smacked her for lying yet, even though all that's lies. He looks pretty impressed. Yeah. As as they're sitting there, because he's cross-legged with his little stick, his whipping stick, <laughs> all cross-legged, and she's sitting cross-legged in front of him, and she's pretty focused here. Totally. She's, this is her training. It's coming to fruition. So it cuts to her walking through the market, and while we are watching her walk through the market... She says, it took a while, but I finally saved enough to buy myself an oyster cart. And now every morning I make my way down to the canals 
And when she says canals, there's a black cat that like jumps in front of her. And I thought that was really funny because when she's in King's Landing and she's going through all the canals and stuff, uh, she's always chasing cats. And there's also one, another one of, her, one of her alter egos in the books. One of her other characters is Cat of the Canals. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Totally perfect. It's hilarious. Yeah. So she goes, I passed pass the fishmongers and the bakers. I usually see Lara, my first customer of the day, on my way home. And that's Laura, Lara the whore from Salador Sand scene with Davos uh, in the bathhouse. Right. I remember you mentioning that. Yeah. And then I turn left onto Moonsinger Lane. Whack. Whack. <laughs> left onto Ragman Lane, where I do most of my <laughs> trade. it's great (laughs) slaps Lana is very impressive very industrious she will make a fine servant to the many faced god how will she serve him she will no longer turn left onto Ragman Lane she will turn right and go to Ragman Harbor what will she do there (laughs) it's funny how he doesn't tell her what she's going to do they sort of send her out blind um, he yeah. says, you know, how can a man tell a girl what she would see? If, if, he, if a man knew what she would see, there would be no reason to send her. But he obviously, he must know something, right? I think, yeah. Is there like mystic, mystical stuff going on here where he has like a vision and he needs her to go investigate? Well, or? okay. So this may not have been Arya's idea to become Lana and get an oyster cart. So maybe they're planting her as Lara and she's learning to talk like a faceless man as if she's Lana. But Mm. Jockin knows this guy likes oysters. So she's going to go down to the docks and sell oysters and he's going to get some and she's going to see what he does. Mm. And so he's testing her ability to critically think and see... Uh why someone would need the many face god good call and so next we have her favorite li- your favorite line oh, just clams and cockles <laughs> 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 yeah and so the thin man i like how they call him the thin man yeah it's weird right it reminds me of the tin man your oysters fresh best in the city you wouldn't lie to an old man would you and she's like, bitch, please, let me crack this shit open for you. <laughs> bitch, please. Oh, that's great. Give me four yeah. with vinegar. Ugh, no thanks. I'm not a oyster person. Yeah, I'm not, I don't know if I've ever had an oyster. Ooh, I can't even think about them. They're, sli- they're very slimy. So what's this guy's deal? He is an insurance guy, basically, where if ship captains basically they they the bet they're talking about is like he's an basically insurance. a life insurance agent <laughs> right that's kind of yeah that's that's what i thought yeah so i was trying the, to figure out like what the hell's going if on here the sailor dies this guy pays his family mm-hmm. so it's you know that's what it is it's insurance yeah they're kind of clunky about explaining this yeah so um you know, this is my 18th voyage. I've returned from all of them without a scratch on me. Can't do it. And I think it's because on the map, it looks like he's going through Valyria. Oh, all right. Yeah, I wasn't sure what was on the map. So he's like, I'm not waging because you're going through Valyria. It looks like it because I paused it and I could see 
it looked like like ruins Ooh. on the map. So he's like, nope, can't do it. Sorry. The guy's like, please, I have three children. So why would this guy even be going through Valyria? It's kind of stupid. Probably to save a lot of time. Is it worth your guess. life, though? <laughs> you know what I, mean? like, I don't know. I don't must know. Be. Maybe he's getting threatened or something. He has to make a move quick. I don't know. Just kind of dumb. Yeah. So Arya's, you know, dumping vinegar all over her other oysters while she's listening to this conversation. And she's like, um, something's not right. Yeah. She's like, this is weird. Like, what's going on here? And so then we cut back to the house of black and white and the, the poison pool water. And Jockin goes, the man is a gambler. <laughs> so Arya's like, why would the captain do this? Because the only way he wins is if he loses his life. Like, why would he wager this? Yeah. And this is like what just some clunky dialogue. It, it was just weird. I don't, I didn't really like the way that they went about explaining this. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely not clear, especially to the first time viewer, because I, I know I've mentioned this before. This whole like faceless man storyline, especially in this particular episode, is very confusing as a first time <laughs> viewer of someone that's never read the books. Sure. Yeah, you know, all this like, stuff's happening and you're like, what the hell is going on here? Like, why is she selling oysters? Cute little, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like little buns on the side of her head and like, which is a total like bravosi hairdo, by the way. The buns. The buns on the side of the head, the bra but the, they're like braided buns. It's more like an Alderanian hairdo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Princess Leia. Yes. So, Jockin then says, a girl tells a man that she has seen. And Arya's like, okay, well, I have to figure this out. I have to critically think here. If the captain dies, the thin man pays his family a lot of money. So, Arya's like, okay, I'm starting to get this. Jockin goes, perhaps the gambler, gambler loses his bet and decides that he doesn't have to pay after all. A destitute woman and her small child. What can they do to such a man if he keeps their money for himself? Whom can they turn for recourse? And Arya's like, oh, I get it. The many-faced guard. Right. You know, and she, but then she's like, well, if you knew this, why didn't you just tell me this? <laughs> and Jockin's like, I had no idea what you would see and what you would not see. A girl named Lana will, will return to the docks. She will watch the gambler. She will come to know as much about him as she knows about herself. And I did like that sentiment because she just needs to know enough. Because this is all she knows about Lana. She knows enough, like, for a backstory. Right. And Arya's like, and then what? And Jacken holds up the poison, a gift for the thin man. And I love the way she smirks. She's super excited about yeah. this. But why would it be appropriate to assign the gift to be given if Arya doesn't even have all the information yet to know if he's guilty of anything? I do not know. You know what I mean? It's he's a just very like, yeah, odd... go watch him and then give him this gift, even though you don't know if there's anything wrong with the situation. If he's actually withholding mm -hmm. the money. Right. Is the guy praying at the House of Black and White? Is that the guy? 
I think it was the sailor. Yeah, the captain? Yeah, the captain. I think that was him. Very interesting. So, yeah. I might have to go back and look at that, though. Because we, we get kind of a funny angle of him in there, and it's dark. Right. So then the, the waif shows up after, when Arya's leaving, and she's like, she's not ready. Um, and it just seems like the waif <laughs> take is like way more strict about all of this than Jockin is. She's like, she, she seems to take it way more seriously than Jockin. Jockin's like, you know, maybe she's ready. Maybe she's not. And if she's not, pff, it's all the same to the many faced God. It doesn't even really matter. None of this matters. <laughs> None of this fucking matters. And I'm just like, whoa, like <laughs> he really seems to. He's kind of a nihilist. Like, why bother doing anything? <laughs> you know? Right. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of funny. Like, none of this really matters at all, apparently, according to uh, Jockin. Yeah. So that was my number two. All right. Yeah. What's your number two? My number two was the Bran and Rickon revelation. Oh, that's right. Okay. So now we're on to our number one, Hard Home. Woo! Yes, the battle. So Jon Snow looks very nervous as his boat, his little dinghy, his dinghy approaches Hard Home. A crow entering a nest of rowdy wildlings, completely outnumbered, super dangerous, mad ballsy move by Jon. I mean, yes. these are people who have been enemies for thousands of years, and the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch is showing up with a couple guys and walking into a massive crowd of wildlings. He's yeah. lucky they didn't just kill him on principle. Right. I mean, they're like looking at him, I guess, because Tormund is walking next to him. Yeah. And uh, he's just completely outnumbered. And this is like, he's a true leader. Like only a leader would have the the balls to do this type of thing, you know? And he's about to show them all his true valor as this whole scene plays out. So <laughs> he's a little hesitant and Tormund's like, you trust me, Jon Snow. Does that make me a fool? We're fools together now. <laughs> that was a fucking great line. Yeah. So funny. For They're sure. a team. Tormund is uh, team John all the way at this point. So uh, they walk up and are interrupted by the Lord of Bones. Who's like, oh, Tormund, now you're with this pretty little crow. I bet you suck his cock and whack. Tormund just fucking like crushes this guy, pummels him <laughs> yeah. to death. And uh, I think it's hilarious how everybody keeps calling John pretty. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody. Um, He's prettier than both my daughters. <laughs> yeah, Tormund again, like later in the episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's pretty hilarious. And so he crushes the Lord of Bones. And then he, and then he's like, yeah, um, let's gather the elders and let's talk. So they start walking up towards the cabin and John is surrounded with all these wildling chieftains and Carsey, the chiefess and elders and a th another Then, probably the new Magnar of Then. And uh, he gives a, a pretty plain introduction, sort of, <laughs> sort of like um, Davos gives him actually, it's just like. My name's Jon Snow. <laughs> it, it doesn't have necessarily have the best negotiation tactics here. We're not friends. 
we're not going to become friends today. This isn't even about friendship. I mean, it it is kind of poignant because they need to transcend the idea of, you know, their petty differences or whatever. Yeah. And it's not about becoming friends. It's, it's about, about survival. He yeah. says that too. It's about survival. This is putting a 700 foot wall between you and what's out there. Right. It's like, it's like the Gambinos will fight against the Genoveses, but as soon as someone comes into their territory, they'll team up to throw that, you know, that bastard out basically. <laughs> <You know? laughs> They'll okay. they'll pull together to protect their their resources as a whole, even though they'll fight amongst themselves when you know left to their own devices. Similar type of thing here, they kind of have to combine forces to survive the onslaught of the undead. Ooh, that's yes. a cool phrasing. Onsla- onslaught of the undead. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> he's like, "This is about getting you guys t- on our side of the wall." and trying to fend off all that horror on the other side. And so Carsey speaks up. She's cool, man. I like Carsey a lot. Yeah, I do too. She's like, you built that wall to keep us out. And I'm like, ah, that, I don't think that's no, no. accurate. <laughs> I think that wall was built to keep out white walkers and whites. And you guys, you know, just didn't make it down in time or yeah, something. Your, your ancestors were just, they were lagging. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately for for them so uh another kind of like not necessarily the best wording the then magnar is like since when did the crows give two shits if we live and john's just like in normal times uh we wouldn't <laughs> i'm like dude that's a little harsh you know yeah uh, you we don't fucking like, care what happens to you right so uh carsey's like yeah right or uh, John's like, in normal times, you know, we wouldn't really care. But the White Walkers don't care if you're free folk or crow or southerner or whatever. We're all just fodder for their army. They kill us and we join them. And we need to band together to beat them. Carsey's like, yeah, beat the White Walkers? I don't think so. And so John holds out the dragon glass and she thinks it's like a trap <laughs> for a second. He's like, no, 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 no. It's not a trick. It's a gift. Just like the gift last episode was the gift. Yes. Um, so they pull out the dragon glass and John kind of gives a little explanation. And uh, he says, a man of the night's watch used one of these daggers to kill a walker. And I thought it was funny that he called him a walker as opposed to like a white walker. I thought it maybe it was a, like a little walking dead reference because they're totally about to smoke the walking dead at their own game coming up here oh yeah oh maybe that are like so much better interesting yeah a little nod like (laughs) we're gonna kick your ass in one episode (laughs) yeah totally so carsey's like oh there's old stories about dragon glass and it's starting to like you know she's he's winning her over a little bit here and laboda mentioned the 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 then of the the magnar of the thens mentions there's old stories about ice spiders as big as hounds too and she, and Carsey's like, really? What, you're doubting that with all the crazy shit we've seen? White walkers and giants and... Undead horses. Undead horses and stuff. Like uh, like we rode to <laughs> to podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. I, I call an undead horse. I'm not a fan of spiders. Oh, no. The, the, the spiders do the hunting for us. Oh, oh. We're riding well, then- the undead horses commanding the spiders. <laughs> So, so they got the dragon glass 
And John's like, come with me and I'll share these weapons. And they're like, uh, come with you where? John's like, they're good lands south of the wall. The Night's Watch will allow you through, like will allow you past the wall through the tunnel and even give this you guys this land for your people to farm. And Carsey looks pretty stoked about this. She's smiling. Which is the gift. Yeah, that's the gift too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the other gift. The first gift is the dragon glass. And then if you come with us, We'll give you the that gift and the gift, like the gift. As a gift. <laughs> yeah, as a gift, yeah. It's a re-gift, technically. Because <laughs> Jaehaerys the first gave it to the Night's Watch, right? After visiting yeah, the wall. And yeah. now, <laughs> it's a re-gift. They're giving it away to the, to the wildlings. Yeah, it's a re-gift, you know. We got it's a re-gift of, it. of the gift. <laughs> so um, there's a little hesitation and... John brings up Mance Raider and how he never wanted war and that he wanted to get all of you guys south. Like his whole goal was to save you from the real war, um, which is about to happen. Like so the, one minute from now. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. So the Then guy's like, where is Mance? And John's like, yeah, he died. How? I put an arrow through his heart. <laughs> Again, you could have chosen better wording, John. You know, like, yeah, I killed him out of mercy. Yeah, like, I saved him. I killed him, but yeah, I was saving him from a much more horrible death or something, you know, something. So everybody starts freaking out. All the wildlings guys who like worship Mance, basically. Uh, you know, he spent 20 years wrangling all these groups together and building this army. And, uh, <laughs> and the, the Then guy is just like, this is fucking bullshit. And like, we're, we're going to fucking send him back to Castle Black with no eyes and starts pulling out his sword and Tormund steps forward and has a great speech saying, you know, none of you were there. I saw the man's die and Jon Snow, like his arrow was mercy. That's that bastard Southern King Stannis was going to burn Mance alive just to send a message and Jon Snow defied that cunt's orders. What he did took courage and that's what we need today. And oh, such, such a good line. The courage to make peace with men we've been fighting for generations. <laughs> like, that was pretty good. <laughs> the, his delivery of that line at the end is just like amazing there. And I was just like, wow, this is really cool. Great job there. Yeah, Tormund. for sure. So John's saying, listen, I'm not asking you to forget the past and forget your dead. I'm not going to forget mine, but we have to think about the children basically at this point. And this is in a significant moment because when he says, I'm asking you to think about your children now, the camera cuts to Carsey, who we know is about to be savaged by a pack of emaciated undead children and killed by kids. So that sentence kind of shakes her and puts her and deep in thought. And sends her kids on a boat and leaves them. I mean, she's making sure that they're safe, but yeah, I mean, totally. she had to say goodbye to her own children. Yeah, exactly. So this line sticks out for her a lot. And um, he continues, you know, they'll, our kids will never have kids of their own if we don't band together. The long night is coming and the dead come with it. No clan can stop them. Only together, all of us. And even then... It might not be enough, but at least then we'll give the fuckers a fight. You know, <laughs> yeah. line. all the Southern Kings can't stop them. All the King's armies and all the King's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back Humpty together. Yeah. <laughs> Humpty. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't put the Night King back north of the wall again. <laughs> 
And so people are like, oh, maybe this is a good plan. And Carsey <laughs> asks Tormund, like, um, who is this? Do you vouch for this man, Tormund? He's like, that's when he mentions him being prettier than both of his daughters. But he knows how to fight. And he's young, but he knows how to lead. And he didn't have to come here, but he came here. Because he needs us, and we need him. And uh, <laughs> the Then is taught, you know, always Thens are always being dicks about something. My ancestors would spit on me if I broke bread with the crow. So would mine, but fuck them, they're dead, Carsey says. <laughs> And she steps in front of John and she's like, I don't trust you, but I trust Tormund. And if you say that this is the way, we're, we're with you. And at this moment, I'm like, wow, Carsey is totally, she's the wildling version of Liana Mormont. Totally. You know, making first moves, standing strong, stubborn as fuck, but like logical and She's a northern woman. Yeah. I think they would probably be pretty good friends. So I was just thinking about Liana Mormont as Carsey was doing her thing here and uh, was pretty impressed by her. So Tormund says, yeah, this is the way to go. One elder agrees. The giant agrees. And then, of course, the Than has to poison the well. And he's like, fuck that. That's our enemy. It's always been our enemy. As soon as you dumbasses get on their ships, they're going to slit your throats and dump your bodies to the bottom of the shivering sea. It's like, oh yeah, what would the point be? They could have just stayed at Castle Black and let the White Walkers handle that. Seriously. Kind of a lot of effort for no purpose. So this kind of riles everybody up and they start leaving and (laughs) Carsey's like, I fucking hate thens. (laughs) Which we've gotten that line before. Yep. And so this is when shit like is starting to about to go down. The wildlings are getting loaded into the boats. There's like 5,000 coming with them. We learned that, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Tormund's talking about how it took 20 years to band all these people together and that, you know, they're some of them aren't coming now, but they're running out of food and there's nothing to hunt. So they'll be, they'll come around, you know, we'll come back yeah. soon and we'll, we'll negotiate some more. They'll hear the, that good things are happening with the, with the free folk that went South and they'll want to come. Yeah. They'll bring somebody back with them to tell them like, Hey, we're, you know, it, the gift is real. We're alive. I still have <laughs> yeah. my intestines. They didn't gut me. And, you know, <laughs> Throw me overboard. Like yeah. So Carsey puts her, her kids on the boat, promises she'll be right behind them. And then, you know, she's dead as soon as she makes that promise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't make promises like that. Yeah. You know? uh, she's trying so hard to be strong and not to cry. Mm-hmm. And it's, ugh, it's hard to watch. And this is when Ed sees one, one who's, inspecting a piece of dragon glass <laughs> look kiff rock fuck you looking at ed <laughs> yeah. and ed walks out and that's when the dogs start start barking Ugh. and that is a bad sign so the dogs are barking and people are starting to get anxious and there's this this rumbling in the distance and the dogs are whimpering and everybody's turning to see what's going on and this mist is descending down over the mountains and it is fucking crazy the then is like shut the fucking gate <laughs> and are, all these yeah. people are outside the gate and they're trying to get in but they don't have time and the the gates are, they just need to close immediately so they close and all these people are trapped outside and they're banging on the door banging 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 on the on the wall and all of a sudden uh. it just stops and 
the tension that's being built up through this whole scene is just amazing. Did you notice that their their feet disappear yeah, under the wall? Yeah, they got like dragged back and away or something like. Yeah, because we don't really hear them dying or screaming either. Yeah, they're just whisked away, dragged off into the distance, and it's holy shit. Yeah, so the dogs are freaking out. Everybody's freaking out. The sound is building, and the tension, like I said, is just like thick as pea The music is going. Oh, man, the music is so good. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, silence, and the banging stops, and their feet are gone. And the then walks up and looks through a little crack in between the boards. Oh, this is like the creepiest part, yeah. too. And then all of a sudden, the skeletons are running through the mist and just <laughs> smashing against the, a wall, the wall. And their arms are coming through and their heads are coming through. And they're just digging and clawing and scraping their way to try to get through. And they're, the wildlings and the, the Black Brothers are just firing arrows and all kinds of stuff smacking you know their heads with axes and <laughs> cutting cutting them down as they crawl their way through the gate oh man it's so just chaos yeah um i like when laboda is that his name yeah he, the the, thin, the, the magnar of the thin yeah the weight sticks his hand through the gate and he like chops it off with that big axe so he has a big axe too which totally it's a, i guess a thin thing to have a big war axe yeah, big battle axe it's pretty killer yeah yeah and then i i love the mad rush there's it everyone just turns towards the boats right. and it's like it reminded me of the scene in the titanic. titanic oh i was thinking the same thing when they when the when the titanic finally sunk and people were swimming and they were like just like pulling the boats over trying to get in and even before it sunk just trying to pile on the boats as they're totally. being lowered down and like the boats are breaking and people are falling in and it's frozen water and it had that same like eerie vibe that frantic eerie yeah feel to it yeah super creepy and then john's trying to keep order and i guess that kind of was reminiscent of the titanic too he's like get in line get right. in line Women children first <laughs> yeah which is what they were kind of doing here at hard home as well they were right. getting a lot of the women and the children on the boats first and the whites are trying to climb the gate and they're trying to scrambling. crawl to the top of the cabin I love and that part too. you hear them like scampering up you can hear them and uh one one is looking up like they're all waiting and um the men you know kind of prepare their weapons and one one starts kind of growling under his breath which yep. i thought was kind of cool totally and then we you know we cut out back to the the outside and the whites are trying to climb under the gate and people are shooting arrows everywhere and you know the whites are crawling even further under the gates now they're starting to make like a good sized holes in the gate a to, hole yeah like kind of pouring through especially a little bit. underneath too they're starting to dig and so it's getting easier for them to slip through the fence is cl clearly it's a tall fence but and it's pretty sturdy but it's, you know, starting to wobble for sure. Yeah. And John's basically like, I got to go like, hold the, hold the, hold down the fort down here. I'll be back. 
and uh, <laughs> I'll get them to the ship and come back for me. And the black brother's like, you'll never make it. And he's like, I, it doesn't matter. I got to go. He's just so badass. Yeah. And he's like, Lord Commander, like, where are you going? <laughs> get to the get these people to the ship and come back after me. And the guy's like, dude, you're not going to make it. Right. And he goes now. And Tormund's like, if they get through, everyone dies. So they just, they have to go right now towards that, that wall to try to fend yeah. off these fuckers. And even just right before that, Carsey, Carsey's like, what are you doing? Like, you need to be on one of those boats. My oh, little yeah. girl, my little girls are on there. Are they going to let them pass? Even if you're not there, you have my word. I've given orders. Yeah, I don't think you're going to be around to enforce those orders. Right. Like, look around you, dude. Like, would Alistair have opened the gate if John wasn't there? Hell no. No. Absolutely Hell not. No. So, uh, there's an epic shot upwards looking at John as he unsheaths Longclaw. And it's just a really, really awesome shot, which I thought was great. Yeah, and he kind of drops his belt, mm. which he also does in Battle of the Bastards. He unsheaths. Uh, long claw and drops it to the ground. He leaves the scabbard on the ground in Battle of the mm -hmm. Bastards. Is he, he does that here too. Um, I think so. It looked that way. The, the camera cuts look. away, so I don't know if he like puts it back on. But he doesn't have it when he's fighting the White Walker. Mm, true. Interesting. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Is totally. that common to do in battle? I to, have like, no idea. <laughs> I mean, because it would kind of get in the way. Like, if you're trying to move quickly, a big, long thing like that at yeah, your side. Sure. Yeah. So, we get an overhead shot here of all how many whites are kind of lining up and, and uh, filling the, the area behind the gate. And you can tell there's a lot of pressure being pushed on this whole wall that's been erected. Doesn't look like it's going to hold for very long. There's a white sticking through his head through the through the gate through the through a hole and his he's got an arrow right through his brain which doesn't stop him he's still going along carsey is just fucking wailing away on these bastards killing She's whites left and right so badass john pins a white to the gate with long claw <laughs> which is fucking cool and there's just crazy fighting going on john is just like spinning around and chopping and slicing all these whites down some really cool camera style techniques, which they um, subsequently used again in the Battle of the Bastards. Like you mentioned, that one with them running. Other action shots like the John spinning around and killing a bunch of, of creatures and ducking and dodging and all this. They used really similar techniques in the Battle of the Bastards as well for some of that action stuff. Definitely. So all this is going down and John looks up through the mist and sees four white walkers on horseback at the top of this cliff. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yes, that's what I have in my notes too. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. So here it's we have so like a, ominous. Yeah, another uh, cool biblical reference. Uh, all these great historical references and, and things like that encoded into the story here. Yeah, yep. Opens the first four of the seven seals, which summons forth the four beings that ride out on white, red, black, and pale horses. Damn. Behold a pale horse. Co conquest, war, famine, and death are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Interesting. Very interesting. We'll yeah. Have to break that yeah. down in more detail at some point. Yeah, let's do it. 
So John realizes the dragon glass, we got to go get it. So the Then and him team up and it's, it's kind of cool seeing them team up when they had been at such odds. So, so recently, you know, like really arguing with each other. Yeah. This proves John, John's whole reason for being there. Yeah. This is it in a nutshell. We're witnessing it happen where they have to team up. It's, it's, it's about survival. It's like, you know. Yeah. And this is when that giant breaks through the wall of the cabin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. John is just so distracted by this amazing action. He doesn't even see that white coming. Stomp. And uh, so they enter the cabin, John and Laboda together, the Then, and a white walker wielding a staff, like a (gasps) ice spear staff. Goosebumps everywhere. Slowly walks through the flames and the fire, it like retards the fire all around the fire, dies out. There's like like snow fog around him. I don't know how else to describe it. So cool. So he walks in and Laboda tells John, get the glass. And he starts to try to fight him. And he is he not. He just gets pummeled. Yeah, he's getting pummeled. And he just does not see this coming at all. The White Walker's weapon shatters his axe. It just shatters to sprinkles of ice in his hands, basically. And he's so caught off guard by that. He doesn't think to dodge away. And the White Walker just... He's just stunned like a deer in the headlights or something. And the White Walker yep. just puts his spear right through his stomach. He, I don't think he was expecting to be disarmed. And he was just like, what the fuck happened? No, I mean, how could you anticipate like he, that? Yeah, he froze. Um, so John grabs the glass, but gets tossed across the room. And Longclaw flies out of his grasp. Oh, he just gets thrown. Oh, like, yeah. Big time. Completely tossed like a freaking basketball. Ragdoll. <laughs> So he climbs up and trying to get away from this white walker, picks up another weapon and the walker jumps up to his, to where he is. He's like, fuck. And another brief swing and bam, John's weapon this time gets shattered in his hands. And the last time we saw this happen a couple seconds ago, the guy was instantly killed. So everybody watching this for the first time is like, no, No! John's about to get stabbed. But instead the white walker whack hits him with the butt of the weapon he drops a good 10 feet down to the ground. Ooh, looks painful. I think he broke some ribs. <laughs> yeah, I love the sound me. effect when he hits the ground, that kind of like high pitched noise, like your mind is ringing, like your bell just got oh, rung. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a great sound. Love yeah. That. So I love it. He crawls out and stumbles out into the snow and luck is on his side. And he's, he, he happens upon long claw picks it up and there's a great shot looking upwards at this white walker as he's in slow motion lumbers out and approaches john and spins his ice spear around his head and comes down to swing and just at the last second possible john lifts up long claw just in time and catches the white walker's blade with long claw and they both look so surprised yeah. they're like what yeah and long claw doesn't shatter and the look of surprise in the white walker's face is priceless a moment of panic like, white walker what? panicked in this moment just stunned that the the blade absorbed the blow and he swings again and misses and john just whack hits him with long claw and he just shatters into smithereens of ice and i love that the night king is watching him alone on the top of the cliff because 
you know, from all, <laughs> it's really a slaughter. There's really no way around it. Like the Night King, this is a one-sided battle, essentially. He's sitting there pretty amused and pleased with the destruction that's going on around. Yep. And he catches, like, this young kid who's, like, actually putting up a fight and killed one of his... I don't know, like lieutenants. And he's like, this is interesting. Like, this is we'll have to keep a little bit more entertaining. One. Yeah. Like, I'm going to watch you. And then, of course, they see each other again. Oh, yeah. He's got his eye on Jon Snow. For sure. Do you think he sees something in him? And Jon Snow's cousin, Bran. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he probably sees something in him. He knows he's going to be a threat, or at least, uh, you know, he's not going to give in and just give up and be defeated easily. Yeah, absolutely. And he also, I mean, his weapon didn't shatter. I'm curious if the Night King knows about Valyrian steel. I'm sure he knows about dragonglass, but Valyrian steel? Like a sword? Yeah, good question. So... I loved that. He's pondering Jon Snow. Yeah, the end of the last long night was thousands of years before the rise of Old Valyria. So, unless Lightbringer was a prototype of Valyrian steel, uh, which the Valyrians then tried to reverse engineer and recreated Replicate the, the process it. to, and then called it Valyrian steel after themselves, unless Lightbringer was a similar style metal, he probably wouldn't know what Valyrian steel is unless he's happened upon it from some wildling that happened to have a Valyrian steel Eric or something like that. Yeah. Cause I think that there, there may have been at least one piece of Valyrian steel in wildling possession before. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I'll have to look into that, but so, um, John is like crawling along and Ed runs up to him and grabs him. And John isn't, doesn't realize that it's a, um, that it's an, an ally and he pulls up his blade. Like he's about to stab Dolores Ed and Ed's like, it's me, it's me. Buddy. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, and, and since we're talking about John killing the white or white Walker, now John and Sam have both killed a white Walker. That's true. What a club, man. That's a pretty exclusive club right there. VIP. Yeah, major. <laughs> so Tormund and Carsey are still just ripping it up. And uh, Carsey looks up and sees a group of kids staring at her. Ugh. And she freezes in her tracks, like just sh stunned. And the kids are just staring at her for a few minutes before rushing at her and knocking her back and she just crosses her arms like an egyptian mummy basically and they all just surround her and start eating her looks like yeah and she's screaming if you listen closely you can oh, yeah. hear her screaming in Guttural agony screaming yeah and uh, what do you think's going through her head here is like she's obviously she likes kids so she's probably a traumatized by seeing dead kids like this all skeletonly bony and everything and also, B, she probably doesn't want to, like, attack them because she doesn't want to, like, swing a blade at a kid, basically. Yeah, I think that's more it. It's like, because she's a, a beast when it comes to knocking these um, creatures down. 
But when she sees the kids, it's like, I can't swing a sword at a child. You know, I can't permanently kill them. But what a sacrifice. Like, your own daughters are on the boats. Shouldn't you kill the dead kids to get to your real alive kids? (laughs) (laughs) Kill the dead kids. I mean, I don't know. If I was in that position, I would probably kill them. Like, to get back to my, you know breathing child on a boat as you should (laughs) as you should for sure they're dead plus they're gonna eat you fuck them yeah i i found it kind of an interesting choice maybe she just gave up yeah that's what it seemed like she just like couldn't she's like i I can't deal with it right now i just can't even um but it's funny she's like oh our ancestors are dead fuck them you know who cares what they think but here she she can't say that same thing about these dead kids yeah nope Bitch made. Bitch made, motherfucker. Bitch made. Brutal. Yeah. So Ed's, John's like, the dragon glass. And Ed's like, fuck the dragon glass, glass. dude. We're going to (laughs) die. What are you talking about? What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, we got to get out of here. And then there's a screech, you know, (sighs) and everybody looks over and all of a sudden, from the top of the cliff where the, where the white walkers had been hundreds and hundreds of whites, like lemmings are just, <laughs> just diving off the top That's of the exactly cliff. That's exactly what they look like. <laughs> yeah. Just running off one after the other and just cr- getting crunched and splattering down the side of the mountain, bouncing uh, off rocks. What a visual like image Griffin. to how single minded their goal is. They have no pain. They don't die. And they're, they're, they're one track mind. They're yeah, there to kill. Point. Yep. And so everybody's like, oh, that was stupid. They just all jumped off that cliff and killed themselves. And then after a few seconds, you hear their bones start like clicking as they all start standing up. Yeah. And like oh, <laughs> popping and their everyone <laughs> just starts running. Everyone's like, fuck, oh, abort, shit. abort. Abort. Yeah. It's the <laughs> That's the best. So it's just full retreat basically at this point. Tormund's, it's panic mode. Yeah, Tormund's like, fuck this. The gate comes crashing down. The wall comes crashing down, which is like a microcosm foreshadowing the, the fall of the wall at East Watch in oh, season seven, yeah. episode seven. Definitely. Good catch. I saw the wall come down here and I was like, oh, foreshadowing. You know, that's that's the wall coming down that they're talking about. Totally. Hinting at it. Good catch. Thanks. So, um, yeah, this whole thing is just a metaphor for the wall. The, the whites on the other side of this, this structure that they've built here all piling up until they have enough pressure to break the wall down and come through. Yeah, it's just a total metaphor for the bigger picture. So they're all running to the ships. Tormund's, so Tormund has this line, one, one to the sea. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when they're all running and... One one goes into the water and they're paddling away and they John looks back to the shore and sees all these whites killing everybody and the band Mastodon is getting slaughtered in there he somewhere. He sees men of the Night's Watch getting slaughtered. Yeah, everybody. Everybody getting slaughtered. And Carsey's dead. We see her dead body. And John's face. It's like, it's like oh. he's horrified. I mean, it's just pure destruction and failure. Yeah, total failure. It sucks. So all of a sudden, 
out of the chaos, somebody comes walking out to the dock. First, all you see is his boots. How did he get down from that mountain so fast? He probably just jumped too. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. Probably levitated or something. Yeah. Who knows? No, I'm kidding. But uh, he gets down there and he it's the Night King, obviously, and the camera pans up and the, the huge epic stare down between him and Jon Snow as they're facing off. And the the guys on the boat are like still paddling. And uh, this is that epic come at me crow moment where the, the Night King raises up his arms looking yeah. at John the whole time, never breaking eye contact, his eerie blue eyes glowing in his in his skull. And he's smirking. He's like, what are oh, you going to yeah. do about it? Yeah, like, what are you going to do? And watch this. He lifts his You hands. killed one of my lieutenants. I just killed 5,000 men. Yeah. And now they're vi- like, it's like a viral effect. And now they're a part of my army. Yep. So, yeah, exactly. So he, he engages in his necromancy here, raising his hand, casting a spell over all these dead wildlings and men of the night's watch and all simultaneously their eyes flicker open now blue you know and and they all start to to rise and even carsey we see her Uh. her eyes open and they're blue and her face is all chewed up and she sits up like an old uh like a zombie movie like frankenstein movie or something like a little head bobble (laughs) yeah her head her back is completely straight and she sits up and just looks, you know, the gaze, million yard stare, is that what they say? Yeah. Thousand yard stare. And, uh, oh, it's so creepy. And all these whites, these new whites start standing up and just, oh, everybody just facing the escaping men of the Night's Watch with all the wildlings. And it's exactly what John's been saying. You need to save them or you can add them to the army of the dead. And we're seeing it happen here. We're seeing people being added to the army of the dead, which is terrifying. And it freaks out the guys on the boat on this little dinghy that's sailing, uh, that's paddling back out to the bigger boats, freaks them out so much. They all even, they stop paddling and it's just yeah. momentum dragging them along. They're just watching in horror. They're just watching in horror. They're and just John like, what is, the fuck? What in the actual fuck? Yeah. yeah. And John <laughs> John is making eye contact with the Night King and then he sort of just turns to the side. He's like, I don't know how to do, I don't how do we beat this? Yeah, and he's scanning the coastline and it's just this massive area it's where It's a sea of it's a sea of undead. Yeah. It's it's chaos. It's fucking terrifying. So they basically the that's how the episode ends is they're just floating there too too shocked bewildered yeah just deer in the headlights they're too freaked out and in shock even to be paddling at that moment um just a moment of dead silence you could say yeah and the when the credits start rolling it stays silent for a minute but then this eerie music starts to play and when this last time when we went to the live concert experience the game of thrones live concert experience while we were waiting for the show to start, that music is playing in the auditorium. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it's really ominous. And they were showing all of the characters with blue eyes, like John with blue eyes and Danny with blue eyes and Jamie with blue eyes. And it was kind of 
creepy and I didn't know if I should read into it or not. So I tried not to. <laughs> There's a great artist, <laughs> Ertak Altanaz, and he did a, a whole series of pieces of art with all the main characters from Game of Thrones done up like whites. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Check him out on Instagram. I will. Ertak Altanaz, E-R-T-A-C space A-L-T-I-N-O-Z. Okay, perfect. I'll do that. Probably the best Game of Thrones artist out there right now. Nice. Yeah. So that uh, pretty much wraps up my number one. Anything else you want to add to the hard home battle? No, I not notes wise. I will say this when I was a first time viewer, hard home solidified my love for this show. Uh, it took you that long, huh? Well, <laughs> no, no I mean, from like an obsessive perspective, gotcha, like, gotcha. you know, I, I started off really reluctant to watch this show Same here. and the second episode they killed lady. And I looked at my husband, I'm like, I'm not watching this. Like, I don't want to watch it in the first place. I don't know why I'm going to watch this it seems really dark and sad and I don't want to watch a show like that. <laughs> and then, you know, it got, it's, we've had some good battles. Battle of the black water was really good. The, you know, the battle up at the wall was really good, but this was like, Oh my God. Yeah, big time. This is in, this is getting really intense. Mm -hmm. Like as a, series goes not just an episode or a scene but this is like this is tv history i think is what i said to myself yeah big time you know and that's what i mean is like i loved the show before this episode but this is what solidified it enough for me to like start researching and reading the books right. and this is that transcendent moment yeah this episode really got me hooked as far as Okay, I want to know more about the books. I want to know more about the history because from my understanding, Hard Home is mentioned in the books, but this epi the scene doesn't happen in the books. It's referenced, but you don't see it from anyone's point of view. You know that there's wildlings at Hard Home, but yeah, nothing's happened there yet. Got it. Okay. Yeah, so I'm sure it was maybe a nice surprise for some book readers too to have oh, yeah. a little big time different, time. you know, something different happen. Yeah, there there unexpected. may have actually been a battle at Hard Home, but we only hear about it. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So, do you want to move on to notes? Yeah, sure. I don't have that many left. I have um, Roos dinner yeah. with with the with the Boltons. Yeah. Oh, the Boltons. And uh, Roos does not seem too worried about Stannis. He's basically like, we're just going to hide. We're just going to wait him out. They're going to die in the weather. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, yeah, when with us behind uh, these walls of Winterfell, they can't touch us. And like I've said before, what's the saying? Like 500 men can defend against 10,000 at Winterfell or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. They can hold Winterfell with 500 men. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty awesome really good castle the outer walls are a hundred feet i think the inner walls on the inside of the moat are 80 feet so yeah like, this is a serious it's a serious, serious castle. structure yeah. <laughs> and you know roos is like he can tell that ramsey is disappointed in this so 
you know, he's like, do you disagree? And Ramsey goes, Stannis isn't from the North. You are, Father. I think you're missing an opportunity to show the people of the North how House Bolton treats Southern invaders. Oh, so he's like toe-to-toe with his dad. Right yeah. And Bruce is like, and what do you recommend? And I get Ramsey's point here. Like, why are we going to sit and wait to let Stannis decide what type of fight this is going to be? Like, why don't we go hit him first and hit him hard? And I love this. It's a book reference. Yeah. And leave a feast for the crows. Yep. That's the book four title, A Feast for Crows. Yes. Yeah. I loved that. So yeah, I thought it was a really great line too. Yeah. And, you know, Roos, they're, they're having... Bruce is very traditional in his fighting tactics, and Ramsey, we know, is unconventional, yeah, <laughs> to you say the say least. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little unconventional. Um, you know, so Bruce's point, a smart commander does not surrender a defensive advantage. As long as we stay behind these walls, they can't touch us. Not mm-hmm. to mention that the snow is so deep, we couldn't get an army um, through even if we wanted to. And Ramsey goes, I don't need an army. I need 20 good men. You know what that reminded me of? Braun, when they're talking about the Eerie. Oh, yeah. The Eerie is impregnable. Oh, give me 10 good men. I'll impregnate the bitch. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so that's a great so little parallel there. These 20 men are the men that start Stannis's camp on fire. Yes, exactly. And make their yeah. situation even more dire. Yes. Midnight attack, lighting tents on fire and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah, pretty slick. So next we go to Jorah, who returns to the fighting pit, and the master who he decked. You struck me. <laughs> it's like, like Tywin. You yeah, shot you me. shot me. <laughs> So people are fighting. Jorah walks up and the guy is like, the master's like, what the hell are you doing back here? <laughs> like, you're a free man. You could have gone anywhere. Why'd you come back? And he's like, listen, if it makes you any, any feel any better, flog me for hitting you. I don't care, but I'm the best loved, you've got. I loved that. He's like, flog me, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Like, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm the best you got. If you, uh, if I win at the great pit, how much can you sell me for? And the guy's like, oh shit, maybe, maybe I should bring you back into the fold. And he's like, listen, um, if I win, I'm yours, right? Let me fight for her and I belong to you. And his Jorah's dedication is just like the most hardcore. I love Jorah, man. It's intense. Yeah, he loves her so much. And it's a good thing that he did this because he sort of saves the day to some extent at Daznak's pit, right? Yeah, he definitely does. Daenerys almost thinks that he's about to throw a spear at her for a second, but instead he throws it past her, striking a son of the harpy who's about to strike. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good thing. Jorah's got her back, even if she doesn't recognize it. And that's what ends up redeeming his place within her Queen's Guard, basically, is him. Yeah, he comes back. Refusing to, yeah, refusing to stay away, being there <laughs> when, it, when it's needed. Yes. My, one of my teachers in, in uh, radio class said 80% of the job in radio is just showing up. <laughs> And that's what, it, that's what it is for Jorah here. 80% of getting back in Danny's good graces is just being there when, when the just time is right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Hilarious. 
so then we get Sam Stallone. Sam Stallone, who's hanging out with Gilly Flower. Gilly Flower. <laughs> and then, you know, whatever. Nothing major is going on here. They're both glad that each other are all right. And uh, Sam or Ollie shows up and wants to ask Sam a question. And so we learn that Gilly knows two things. She knows S. And she knows how to make a good time to exit. She does a good job of that. Because <laughs> when Stannis shows up, she fucking books it. She knows how to get out. Yeah, Ollie shows up and she's like, oh, I need to feed the baby and just rolls out immediately. And you can tell Ollie doesn't even like Gilly. Right. He like yeah. looks at her and she almost brushes his side and he like moves away from her. He's like, ugh, ugh. Yeah, totally. Like, Don't we have cooties? So he has a plate of food for Sam and he's like, I figured you were hungry. And I'm like, <laughs> good guess, Ollie. It's Sam. <laughs> it's Sam. So yeah, he was hungry. You pick a time on the on the on your watch and at that time. <laughs> You're a good lad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> so he wants to ask him something and he it's a, it's about John. And he's like, What the hell? Like, why is he trying to save these wildlings? They killed my family, basically. And Sam's like, listen, wildlings are people like us. There's good ones. There's bad ones. You know, you can't make generalizations like this. It's super fucking racist, bro. He's like, yeah, but the one he's traveling with, Tormund, with the red beard, he led the rage on my village. How can we trust him? And Sam's like, listen, dude, I've seen the fucking army of the dead. I've seen the White Walkers and they're coming for us. All of us. We're going to need every last person we can find to even have a chance and yeah this and is even then just, it's probably still not enough yeah exactly all the king's horses and all the king's men the same argument that john's making at hard home you know we need to band together to survive that's it and so even this is just like boom, right over ollie's head and he's just like well what if we let him through the gates and they cut all our throats while we're asleep <laughs> it's better it's than like, roaming undead around until eternity. <laughs> yeah, totally. So uh, this is when Sam does the exact opposite of what he's trying to do. He's like, John's taking a risk. Risk. He has to. We don't stand a chance otherwise. Sometimes a man has to make hard choices. Choices that might look wrong to others, but you know are right in the long run. And he doesn't realize what he just did here. Yeah, he, he totally puts the thought yeah. and idea in Ollie's head to get rid of John. Exactly. He totally just unwittingly convinced Ollie that the thought lingering in his mind to betray and murder John is the right thing to do because he knows it's right inside, even if others can't see it. So thanks, Sam. Thanks for that. <laughs> you killed your best friend. Yeah, basically. And then Sam's next line, because Ollie looks like kind of upset about this. He looks you know all fucked up and starts walking away and sam misinterprets it he thinks he's worried about john try not to worry ollie i've been worrying about john for years he always comes back and i thought this was so fucking cool because he just basically convinced ollie to kill john and he comes back <laughs> and, and then he says don't worry he always comes back <laughs> which is exactly what happens after ollie stabs john in the heart he comes back yep. <laughs> so that, foreshadowing john coming back after ollie kills him by so putting clever. these two things together here yeah i thought it was really good writing so that, that's always fun and uh that wraps up my notes me too all right so stick with us guys hang out for a few seconds and listen to some tunes and we'll be right back 
tunes. Tunes. Beams. <laughs> Beams. <laughs> with Deep Blue. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash polled-music. And we're back with news about Game of Thrones. First, HBO has released a new teaser trailer for Season 8. There's only one line said by one character, but I've heard it's pretty intense. I haven't watched it yet. HBO also just tweeted that this Sunday, January 13th, they will be announcing the air date of Season 8 before True Detective. So make sure you tune in for that. In other news, Richard Madden, who's famous for playing Rob Stark in Game of Thrones, just won a Golden Globe for his role in the explosive BBC drama Bodyguard. Moving on to Game of Thrones and mythology. This week from Scoop Whoop. How did we miss these similarities between Indian mythology and Game of Thrones? By Sangd Singh. 1. The frowned upon relationship status of Draupadi and Cersei. Draupadi is among the more prominent characters of the epic Mahabharata, and just like Cersei in Game of Thrones, her love life raises some eyebrows. Although Cersei has crossed some serious lines with incest, being married to five men like Draupadi is no less of a shocker. 2. Ravana got his daughter killed just like Stannis did. So according to Sanghadasa's Jaina version of Ramayana and Adbuta Ramayana, Sita was the first daughter of Ravana. Apparently, astrologers had predicted that the first child of Ravana's wife would destroy his lineage, so he had her buried alive in a distant land. Stannis was even more merciless and decided to burn his daughter alive. 3. Bali was supposed to be unbeatable, just like Sir Arthur Dane. Bali was granted a boon according to which anyone who fought him in a single combat lost half his strength thereby making Bali invulnerable to any enemy. He was so powerful that even Rama had to kill him by hiding behind a tree, just like how Howland Reed could only kill the Sword of the Morning by stabbing him in the back. Oh, do you hear that? What the hell was that? The ravens! Oh my god, run! Oh god, phew, I thought it was going to be whites. Whew, just ravens, good. Sir Matthew of House Rep. Ramsey really doesn't have a good head for strategy. But hey, at least he got to name drop a feast for crows. <laughs> but this, uh, I, I'd, I would say typically you're right, but this is actually a pretty effective strategy. He got quite a bit accomplished with just a few men and ended up um, receiving no, no casualties for his team. So this was a pretty good move, I think. He goes on. Pycelle finally turns against Cersei, albeit still a Lannister lackey through and through by putting Kevin in charge. <laughs> <laughs> the new Magnar of the Thens seemed to be just as big an asshole as the last one. At least he saw the logic of what Jon was saying as soon as the dead came. That is true. They ended up teaming up and the, yep. all that animosity was gone and they were a unit. 
which is exactly what we need to see. Sadly, it didn't work out for the Magnarv then, uh, but at least he came around in the end. Sir Matthew goes on, what a battle. This is yes. one of the go-to scenes for the entire series, from John against the White Walker to the baby whites swarming Carsey to 1-1 stomping heads. It was epic. <laughs> for yeah. sure. One of Love the best it. scenes ever in anything, any movie, any show, one of the best scenes ever. Yes. Cinematic totally. history for sure. Yes. Lord Derek of House Pacheco. This episode is incredible. It's rare to make me as giddy as a schoolgirl, but Hard Home easily accomplished that. <laughs> For sure. I totally agree. Yeah, same here. Good to hear from you, Lord Derek. Yeah, thanks for writing in. Lady Sarah of House Larkham. Cersei kept saying to Septa Yunella that my face will be the last you see. Flash forward to season 6, episode 10, when she has Septa Yunella trapped strapped to the board and tortures her with wine and she confesses her sins that she killed her husband and fucks her brother because she likes it. <laughs> Cersei, that is. Thanks for writing in, Lady Sarah. Yeah, thank you. Lady Lisa of House Sky, Pie Romancer. Ian Glenn's acting when Daenerys and Tyrion are disgusting. <laughs> oh, Ian Glenn's acting when Daenerys and Tyrion are discussing his fate is incredible. His eyes are welling up with tears and his tortured expression is so true to the character. Poor Jorah. His story is like watching a home video of that kid cleaning up milk. <laughs> she posted a link. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, but we will. It looks yeah. funny. Friend zone. <laughs> yeah. Sir Chris of House Saywell. When I first watched, I straight up thought the Night King was just going to wait for the pile of whites to get to the ridge and then walk down <laughs> with a laughing emoji. That's like uh, like um, World War Z style, right? Where they just pile up and pile up and pile up until they can cross over the top of the wall because the bodies are just stacked so high that they just climb right over. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That would have been great. You just like tucks and rolls down the whole pile of corpses till the bottom <laughs> pops yeah. up like Willy Wonka or something. It's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Totally. Lord Nick of House Wiccans. So now is a good time in the rewatch to say, yes, the Dorn and Barristan bits are disappointing and a big point of contention for the book fans in particular. Sure. There are a lot of other instances and things that have had cut for the show and many of which are a shame. However, the show has also done numerous things better than the books, which seems to go unsaid amongst the complaints. This is true. Very true. The various great pairings are more of a TV thing. There are some in the books, but they happen a lot more, are featured more in isolation in the show, with a different one every season, usually one of the season highlights. Marjorie and Elena are so much better, as we see so much more of their machinations. The casting of Tywin and Elena particularly, particularly for me are inspired choices amongst many great ones, of course. Agreed. Yeah, totally. Those two are fantastic. Amazing. They both considerably enhance what were already great characters. Yep. Other characters improved. Oberyn, Bronn, Jorah. Time. Big time. Yeah. Bronn. Are all fan favorites. 
Ramsey as a villain is much more gripping. Last, but certainly not least, we couldn't even have Hard Home, as this is the only referenced in passing. Yeah, we just talked about this. Yeah, totally. So this is not an exhaustive list, just the ones that come to mind. So yes, while the books are of course superior and the show has crocked up a few things, it's important (laughs) to note (laughs) that they have also exceeded some things, which I think should be commended and not forgotten in the one-way comparison. As adaptations go, they've done a stellar job, successfully converting what might be the best book series ever into the best TV show ever. I couldn't agree with that statement more. Yeah, totally. Nailed it, Lord Nick. Fucking nailed it. House Wiccans for the win. All right, that's our show. Episode 90. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you so much. And thanks for writing in, everybody. We love your feedback. Love it. Always huge to hear from you guys. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast and patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? Go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. We'd like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, and Luke, the Low Duke. We love you guys, really. Hope you're having a great new year. Absolutely. Happy 2019. Yeah, totally. Speaking of Sirenicide, you guys should definitely all go and subscribe to that. Johnny Stitches, the creator, is going to be joining us for Season 5, Episode 10. Yeah, and Sirenicide is his brainchild. It's a serialized horror drama podcast with a lot of really great voice actors, including me. I mean, I'm not saying I'm one of the great ones, but I'm a voice actor on the show as well, playing a character. And so, yeah, check out Sirenicide. Go to Sirenicide.com, subscribe on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts and enjoy we also want to give a huge thanks to lady lisa of house sky pie romancer she's been key behind the scenes working to get gameofmicrophones.com up and running she's also a world-class artist seriously not a joke check her out big time (laughs) you need to look at her book um it's a children's book it's amazing it's called the people you may see and it's available on amazon.com and she just released last week a portrait of george r r martin which we're going to post on the facebook page which is really really good very impressive yes you can check her out at fineartsbylisa.com or on instagram.com slash fineartsbylisa and on facebook.com slash fineartsbylisa. Next episode, we'll be covering season five, episode nine, The Dance of Dragons. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. And please give us a like and rating while you're there. Imslap! Uh. You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steam It. 
Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. We can't create a custom URL on YouTube until we have 100 subscribers, so please subscribe as well. Likes, comments, and shares are also greatly appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Lannister, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell. They're all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins, crushing the people on the ground. It's a beautiful dream, stopping the wheel. You're not the first person to have dreamt it. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. Uh, sorry, I'm, <laughs> still, I'm, not, I'm not used to going first here. <laughs> it's okay. Um, he He's all prepared, it, it, or even though the last king that he served as hand was kind of obsessed with torturing animals and killing people, <laughs> uh, he still did a pretty decent job with the politics half. He worships you. He's, he's in, in love, love with, with you, you I, I think. think. <laughs> the wise thing to do would be to kill him, to, to, <laughs> to uh, forgive him. Khaleesi. The brother who killed my father? (laughs) (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) You're going to advise me while you can still speak in complete sentences. All right. Takes his cup away. (laughs) (laughs) So he was able to give her what she wanted, and that's what she wants. Cersei's wigging out in King's Landing. Wigging out. (laughs) But John, no, Aegon, her brother, or cousin, sorry. Nephew. Uh, nephew. Yeah, yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) One of those. Yeah, one of those things. Join Team Fire and Blood. Or Team Team Fire and Ice. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally true because everyone thought they were dead. Yeah. There's actually kind of a little bit of safety in that. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of safety in that. You know, why did Tupac do it? (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any idea where Bran and Rick on? This is my all-time favorite Reek freak out right here. (laughs) (laughs) I can just listen to this on a loop forever. (laughs) Not the on Reek. And he runs off like Napoleon Dynamite. Yes. (laughs) You know, it's a classic Reek freak. Yes, totally. Uh, Reek (laughs) Reek freak. (laughs) You know? Nice. A Reek tweak. He tweaks out. Lena Hedy's. Wait, is that her name? Yeah, Len- Lena Hetty or Lena Lena Hetty, Lena Hetty, Lena Hetty, whatever. <laughs> um, so the king's not coming. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> confess. I'll get out of here. You realize before long. Confess. Confess. I can make you a wealthy woman, a lady of the court. Confess. <laughs> I can make sure you die in the most hideous way imaginable. And oh. <laughs> right, this is low. <laughs> this is real low. This is pretty low. Karma. Yeah, karma is a biatch. Sometimes even a bigger bitch than Cersei is. <laughs> and that's a tall order. For real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
we can blame that pothole on the show writers, I guess. Plothole. <laughs> pothole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can blame that plothole. <laughs> can blame that plothole on the show writers, I guess. That's pretty funny. So yeah, that's my number three. One one. I guess it should have been number one one. One one is the number one. <laughs> no, I am your father. And are interrupted by the Lord of Bones. Who's like, oh, Tormund, now nah, you're with this pretty little crow. I bet you suck his cock and whack. Tormund just fucking like crushes this guy, pummels him <laughs> yeah. to death. It's a re-gift of the gift. <laughs> <laughs> Look, gift rock. Fuck you looking at, Ed. <laughs> yeah. Running through the mist and just <laughs> smashing smacking you know their heads with axes and <laughs> cutting cutting them down as they <laughs> valar morgulis valar muggulis <laughs> this. valar muggulis yeah, yeah obviously she likes kids so she's probably a traumatized by seeing dead kids like this all skeletonly bony and everything shouldn't you kill the dead kids to get to your Real alive kids? <laughs> <laughs> Kill the dead kids to get to your real alive kids. So then we get Sam Stallone. Sam Stallone. He like looks at her and she almost brushes his side and he like moves away from her. He's like, ugh, ugh. Yeah, totally. Like, don't you have cooties? So he has a plate of food for Sam and he's like, I figured you were hungry. And I'm like, <laughs> good guess. Ollie. It's Sam. <laughs> it's Sam. So yeah, he was hungry. You'd pick a time on the on the on your watch and at that time. And he's like, what the hell? Like, why is he trying to save these wildlings? They killed my family, basically. And Sam's like, listen, wildlings are people like us. There's good ones, there's bad ones. You know, you can't make generalizations like this. It's super fucking racist, bro. So thanks, Sam. Thanks for that. <laughs> that would have been great. He just like tucks and rolls down the whole pile of corpses till the bottom (laughs) (laughs) pops up like Willy Wonka or something. (laughs) It's awesome. Totally. Ian Glenn's acting when Daenerys and Tyrion are disgusting. (laughs) 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 Ian Glenn's acting when Daenerys and Tyrion are discussing his fate is incredible. 